You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Screamcast episode 151. I am Sean DeRager. In the background is Charlie and Bailey fighting. They seem to not want to be quiet right now. Uh, today's episode, we are going to be diving into all things vinegar syndrome. Um, I have a lot of, like, people are going to be kind of coming in and out of this episode. So uh, it's going to be fun. So, uh, Brandon Upson is going to be joining us from Vinegar Syndrome. Rob Hunter will be joining us, as well as uh, BJ will be closing out the show with some backroom action. But first of all, with me right now, kicking off the show, is Stephanie Crawford. What's up? Hey, I feel like I'm an audio dog sitter right now, and I'm digging it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. for some reason right now, I mean, I need to get, you know, if it wasn't like, you know... I don't know, like frowned upon, I would find some sort of sedatives uh, for my dogs. But uh, <laughs> if only society would let me drug up my dog. <laughs> they are in full effect right now, but we're just going to go with it. And who cares? <laughs> so whatever. Um, I forgot to mention, Josh Obershaw will be joining us for a short news segment uh, after this as well. So I want to make sure I cover everyone that's going to be joining the podcast. And uh, a lot of fun today. So let's let's dive right into this. Stephanie, we are going to cover uh, a couple things. We've kind of touched on them a little bit, but I figured uh, we would kind of dive into these a little bit, you know, a little bit further. There is um, the two the, the two sets of uh, five years and five five films in five years, uh, volumes one and two that Vinegar Syndrome put out, and. Um, Volume 2 was Horror and Exploitation. Volume 1, of course, was the Golden Age Erotica. And I, as a point, just, I'm not into, I'm not into erotica too much. Not into the Pono. And it's just that people have asked me to try. I know Brad and BJ have teased me to no end. And I bought this out of kind of just showing my support for Vinegar Syndrome. But, um, but you know, but whatever. So let's... Let's dive into this first. I didn't watch them all, but I did because Brad has been hounding about this movie ever since, uh, I think ever since we started the show. But um, but I finally watched Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls. <laughs> and uh, this is a hilarious conversation to have with two dogs fighting in the background. <laughs> but at least it's not hey. my kids. If you people know? want Sean to talk about erotica, that's what they're going to have to put up with. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I finally watched this, and I think it reaffirmed to me that I'm just not into the porn. I'm sorry, everybody. I've tried. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, 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 I don't know, like, Brad has mentioned, like, oh, this is like a comedy, and if you take the comedy, uh, the take all the naughty stuff out this is just a comedy um it was okay i don't know what 
what what are your thoughts on this? I know that you decided to give this a go too, and uh, I think uh, I'm interested in hearing. Yeah, the two prudes we tried. <laughs> exactly, starting the show off the two prudes. <laughs> Last week were the old were the old people complaining about all the young kids. Uh, this week were the two prudes complaining about porn. Hey, if it's yeah. your thing, it's your no, thing. No, we're, we're it's, cool it's, and we're totally supportive, cool. but yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I do love that uh, they preserve these and make yeah. them so readily available because it's kind of cool seeing like uh, when you'd see like old photos from like 42nd Street with all the the movies that were playing and now they're mm-hmm. on Blu-ray. That's kind of crazy. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I'm with you. I, you know, I'm not a big porno watcher. I don't have anything against uh, consensual adults uh, filming themselves, <laughs> whether there's a plot or not. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not usually my jam. And this thing, I can see why this is probably one people would recommend. They're like, no, 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 you might like this one because... It does kind of have that goofiness that a lot of exploitation or sexploitation mm-hmm. films had, except, I mean, John Holmes is in it, and it's like full penetration from multiple angles, like right away. Um, so there yeah, are not like messing around, like just hygiene. in case you thought you were watching <laughs> no, something else. Here you this go. Is a porno. <laughs> um, no, there's hijinks on roller skates and you know cute goofy stuff, but yep. yeah, it, it, it's a funny. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I tried to imagine people sitting there in the theater back in the day. And I guess it's kind of like Deep Throat just contending with the pretty explicit sex and a very goofy tone. Mm-hmm. And I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad there, but I don't get it. I, that, uh, I couldn't imagine going to a theater and watching films like this. I, I mean, I'm, I guess... Th- people were used to that but that was that would just i don't know you know sitting with a bunch of strangers watching this unfold on a on a big screen <laughs> just it just seems very odd to me uh, but hey hey if it's your jam it's your jam they they did a pretty good job uh i mean these look these look this looked it looked great in in blu-ray as far as quality goes so this set has uh let's see two naughty to say no uh hot and saucy pizza girls uh, Ribald Tales of Canterbury, Prisoner of Paradise, which I know that Brad has uh, talked about as well. As and then there's uh, what does that say? Pixie, what? Dixie Ray. Okay, okay, I can't. the The cover has a bunch of handwriting, so I couldn't read the last one. Dixie Ray, Hollywood star. So, um, you know, if you've been wanting to grab these, because they were only on DVD, um, Brandon. And I will discuss this a little bit further on why they decided to put these on, put these out. So, uh, so that's available. And if, if you've been wanting to grab those, you know, this is probably the best presentation. You can grab these and, uh, and go for it. You go with your bad self. Bad self. <laughs> and five and uh, one set. That's pretty good. It's a lot of up close pubic hair. <laughs> it's a good time. Man, I'm selling this. <laughs> Oh well, hey, uh, you know, we, I think we have to have we have to have the balance. I think on the show, and I think that's I think that's good. It's good to have a balance. We'll be well, uh, and that's a great thing about vinegar syndrome. Yep. Yeah. Moving along here, um, and I haven't got to watch through all the rest of these, but this is the horror and exploitation set. But you 
watch them all. So I wanted to kind of go through these really quick. And uh, I know Brad has talked about the mothers quite a bit, and I believe he's mentioned a murder on the Emerald Seas, but we didn't really dive too deep into it because, you know, the murder on the Emerald Seas especially wasn't available because it was like a limited edition DVD. And, um, but this set includes uh, the mothers, flesh and bullets, hang up, dungeon of horror and murder on the Emerald Sea. So I wanted to get your take uh, on these since you, uh, since you dive, dove through them. You, you mentioned the mothers last time we talked about this, right? Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on, on the rest of these titles? Well, the mothers is definitely my favorite. I just recently watched uh, Terminal Island, Stephanie Rothman's movie, and there were a lot of parallels. It was that it'd be a good, uh, like, weird prison escape double bill. <laughs> uh, so if you do like Terminal Island, definitely see the mothers. If you like the mothers, you'll probably like Terminal Island. That's how <laughs> that stuff usually works. Uh, let's see. This is an interesting set. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I think, uh, let's see, the one that I connected with the least was Dungeon of Horror, aka Dungeon of Harrow. I looked it up and it, it seemed kind of split on the title, whether it was Horror or Harrow. Oh, did I say Horror? Yes, oh, no, so I'll yeah, the say front of it says, Oh, the, the front uh, says Horror, that one, the back it's, says Harrow. Um, 16 millimeter, and it's kind of um, a throwback to gothic horror. So um, it was in 1962 and it was trying like trying to do the kind of uh, lush gothic feeling on a really tiny budget. And the results to me, I was pretty bored. Mm-hmm. I kind I checked out a little bit, which I'm not proud of. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that genre. Uh, this one didn't quite do it for me. Hang up. Uh, Hang up is uh, probably one of those ones that kind of uh, skirts the line between exploitation and porn. I guess it's penetration. I think that's the line. There's no penetration in hang up. That's definitely full of nudity. Um, Basically, there's a vice cop, um, him and his partner, like they they dress in drag. (laughs) (laughs) to uh bust people and but the whole time they're like oh i hate dressing like a woman this isn't why i became a cop i'm a man damn it like they really was there a no homo moment oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that is an i think i almost think that might have been in the actor's contracts they're like look you don't really have to pay us much but no homo right all right (laughs) uh so the cop uh he falls for a young prostitute. He heroically rescues her, but you know, things aren't all that they appear. Mm. And he has to contend with um, pimps and uh, hippie lovins, and he's a terrible asshole, and he deserves everything that happens to him. <laughs> Those crazy hippie love-ins. Later in the show, I believe we'll be diving into some hippie love-ins for sure. Um, Some of these other titles that we'll be talking about. So good good stuff. Sure thing. Good stuff. (laughs) Going into, I I think I went over Murder on the Emerald Seas a little bit more uh, in the last, last time I talked about it, but... It also has cops in drag trying to bust people. 
Um, it's a little less no homo, or I guess a more cheerful no homo. <laughs> uh, but it almost sometimes it felt like an episode of the Batman TV show to me. <laughs> and a guy in it does dress like Batman. Nice. <laughs> it's a costume party, but it was nice. worth it for me. I, I've been known in the past uh, to wear women's clothes, and I was always uh, never, I was in, very much enjoyed wearing a dress. So I always did that like in high school for skits and stuff. I was always the one to be like, hell yeah, I'll wear a dress. Where's the, where's <laughs> the foundation and the powder as well? We need some lip gloss or lipstick. Let's bring it on. But whatever. Are there any pictures or footage of this? I may have. I would have to go through some VHSs, but I did do a lip sync to uh, Lunch Lady Land, and I dressed up in full Lunch Lady garb. Uh, (laughs) That's somewhere. I I will try to find it. My parents may have it in a a box somewhere. I'll have to have them send it out to me, and I'll digitize it for, for the world to see. Hey, yeah. cl- club scum exclusive right there, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. Anyway, this, that's a little so, Sean, little, you know, get to know Sean a little more uh, segment. But uh, yeah, better yeah. know a Sean. Yeah. Well, I don't know if these are the two most sympathetic uh, men in frock films. Okay. But Murder on the Emerald Seas, very dramatic title. I assumed it'd be about pirates. Yeah. I'm a simple person, but it's not. It's like goofiness on a cruise ship. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the title is very dramatic. Mm, no. <laughs> it's uh, kind of Benny Hill meets Batman meets... Okay. Um, there's even a makeover montage in it. Oh. That's an automatic recommendation from me. Yes. Yes. Awesome. All right, uh, so the other two, uh, Flesh flesh and Bullets? Uh, yes, Flesh and Bullets was my favorite. Nice. Uh, yes, for one, it's set in Las Vegas. I live in Las Vegas. Okay. I'm always fascinated by um, Old Vegas because in the city, it seems like every four years, they implode like three casinos and try to remake like half the city. So it's constantly changing and all the really cool old things like the Liberace Museum Museum get taken down. Um, just things that make the city interesting, in my opinion. So I, I kind of like to see it kind of grubby in the 70s and 80s. And this film really felt like a 70s movie. But it was in the 80s. And I only fully believed it was 1985 when I saw a young Robert Zadar appear <laughs> in a small role. And then I was like, fine, I'll buy it, I guess. But good Lord, it feels like a 70s movie. But uh, basically, if you've seen Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, the whole crisscross, you know, like, my wife's been pissing me off. Oh, well, my ex-wife has been <laughs> pissing me off. Why don't we take care of it? Okay. Except there's a twist. They uh, immediately have sex <laughs> with the ex-wives. They fall in love and then uh, kind of try to double-cross each other. So it's huh. a crisscross double-cross. Ooh. Okay. I'm adding this to the top of the list for sure to check out once I start diving into this. Yes. The acting is atrocious <laughs> in a really endearing way. But Perfect. it does have, uh, speaking of Batman TV show, uh, Yvonne. No. Uh, Cesar Romero in it. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> and Yvonne Carlo from the Munsters. Oh my God. Perfect. No, it's a lot of fun. Uh, no budget. And it's goofy too. There's a lot of goofiness uh, right throughout the set, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you want like a really awkward, no budget strangers on a train that kind of ends with like, can we just all get along? Flesh and Blood. <laughs> Another dramatic title that doesn't really fit yeah. the film itself. Sorry, Charlie's in my arms now. <clears throat> he will only relax if I hold him. You good? Okay. All right. And uh, uh, finally, uh, hang up. Are you there? Um, yeah, that was the vice cop. The vice cop. Well, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Charlie. Okay. So, we, so we, we've hit them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There'll be some editing here <laughs> for sure. I hope so. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh my God. All right. God, Charlie's like warm. I'm like, I'm dying right now. He's like a little furnace in my arms. Okay. Very cool. So that's the five year, five film. I always want to say five years first for some reason. Five films, five years, volume two, horror and exploitation. It sounds like there's more exploitation maybe than horror in here. Definitely. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Straight horror. Right. Yeah. So no, no actual straight horror on this. Um, Fantastic. So, I, like I said, I'll be talking with Brandon Upson from Vinegar Syndrome a little more later on in the show, and we do dive into uh, these and uh, the the possibility of more of these types of sets in the future. Um, so, I wanted to make sure we covered Ice Cream Man on this episode because I was kind of waiting to see if it was going to get some sort of standard release with like a um, one of the month uh, one of the uh, packages for the upcoming months. Um, and I'm not sure if, if it is. I, I don't think it is just yet. So I wanted to make sure we covered this on the show. It is available uh, in their store. It's not sold out like Liquid Sky is. But Liquid Sky is getting a release in a monthly package in the near future. So we'll be covering Liquid Sky on the podcast within the next couple months. Um, Stephanie, I think you and I are going to talk Liquid Sky on my little side project, Xenopod, from the year 5000. So... Uh, it will be getting covered. If you missed out on it uh, and didn't get the limited edition, you have a lot to look forward to. If you're, you know, if you if you buy the monthly packages each month, because it is, uh, it is well worth your time. <clears throat> Excuse me, good lord, I'm running out of breath still. But uh, Ice Cream Man got the limited edition treatment with a slipcover. I think they've reprinted it without the slipcover, but it's available in the store. Uh, Clint Howard's opus, magnum opus, about a local ice cream man uh, who just wants people to be nice to him and sell them ice cream. Uh, Unfortunately, people are mean to him, and he decides to kill people. Tale as old as time. (laughs) This thing, I, I had never seen it until I watched this Blu-ray. Crazy wow. enough. Yeah. It's another <laughs> one of those titles that I had always seen the cover, uh, the original cover on the video shelves. 
And I think it's one of the most classic video shelf covers because yeah. I'm the same way. I would just stare at that and be like, is the guy's head really on a cone in the movie? Is that real? <laughs> I got good to see. It's see, real. The one thing that I kind of, I was uh, I was like sad about well, on this release was they have this new artwork which is fantastic with the you know hand holding the, the ice cream cone the ice cream cone looks like a skull and i was hoping for the original artwork on the actual cover on like the opposite side or something but they never they didn't offer that on the limited edition one so i'm curious if on the reprint if they do the original yeah. cover which is kind of odd because normally <laughs> they always try to yeah they're really the good about this poster um, so i you know what? i forgot to ask brandon about this when i talked to him unfortunately so it will remain a mystery for now. But Everybody any, yell at Sean because I want yeah, to know. I know. I, uh, it, it slipped my mind. but Because it's petty. You know, I get that. Like, eh, the cover. But it's petty. It's I, so tied in to yeah. where this movie sits in pop culture that I, I, it almost seemed like deliberate. It's kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, because that's the whole reason why I even – this was even, you know, in my consciousness, you know, all these years without even seeing it. So uh, it's presented beautifully on here on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. There's some fantastic um, commentaries by the director, uh, a bunch of other little interviews and everything. Um, they do. There is an interview with Clint Howard, and uh, man, this movie is is a lot of fun. And it's um, I, I, I was expecting it, to, I guess, to be a little more campy, but it's not. Like it is, it is kind of played straight. You didn't think it was campy? I don't know. Like it kind of was, but it was like he like, but Clint Howard's playing this thing like, like not winking at the camera. He's all in on this as this maniac uh, killer. But uh, yeah, I didn't. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess there is some campiness to it. But I, but I was, I was, it wasn't trying to be like a comedy, right? I mean, that's I think was what I was. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Am I remembering remembering this wrong? I don't know. I'm trying to think like a movie that I that I could compare this to, that you know, in the same kind of tone. But um, yeah that the that period in the mid '90s was really strange for genre movies because I think it was kind of in a transition period. We weren't quite in the '80s slashers anymore, and Scream hadn't come out yet, and there's a lot of direct to video. So I think there's a lot of people struggling <laughs> to kind of figure out tones, figure out what they want to do. It kind of, I think you, it kind of, I'm not, not that they're particularly like the same in tone, but this puts me in the mind of like the dentist and maybe man's best friend. Right. Yeah. Where you have yeah, these yeah. really arresting covers and you're like, I can't even imagine what the tone of this movie is about. <laughs> What's Dr. Giggles about? What the hell is that about? So yeah. you it that's what causes you to pick it up. And uh I I feel like there's definitely intentional comedy in it, but it, it's not supposed to be a horror comedy. Right. I don't think. And then because Clint Howard is so sincere, I think a lot of people find comedy within that. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant. Um, it's it's not going out of its way to be like this campy horror comedy. Um, but of course, it, I mean, it definitely goes in, you know, slides right in there with, 
you're right. Like the, like the dentist is still kind of played straight too. And I mean, the dentist is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, I was thinking also too, maybe like same kind of tone as uh, intruder that uh, killer in the, uh, in a, a supermarket film. It's like kind of a splatter gore thing, kind of a, you know, um, where there is comedy, but it, I guess it's played. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm having, I'm struggling kind of, uh, describing what I, what I mean, but you know, it's a little, little gore picture for sure. And of course this, in this one, they're not afraid to, uh, to murder some kids. <laughs> so I guess that's always I always a plus. respect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the most amazing extra is on here, which is monster vision. Oh, there's summer school. Covering Ice Cream Man. And as someone who grew up obsessed with Monster Vision, that was some of my first exposure to horror. I was freaking out that they actually were put it on <laughs> the disc. And that also gives you a clue about the tone. This is definitely the kind of horror movie they play on USA Network in the 90s. There you go. Just enough stuff to entice people, but it was easy to cut out the stuff that was too gory. I don't think it reached the the level of that poster, though. Did it? Did, was there any moments where it was just where you saw the poster and were like, "Oh my god, I need to see this," and then you watched the movie? Did it reach that those heights at all? I know there's the head in the ice cream cone. Yeah, a little bit because I, I think I've been ripped off by movie covers enough that literally had nothing that I actually respect what Ice Cream Man did have. Mm -hmm. Like, there's that part where he's, like, scooping, like, that filthy ice cream with the yeah. body parts in it. And he's, like, <laughs> he's working his tongue around the eyeball in the ice cream. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, that's delivering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, honestly, if you're really trying to turn this movie into a real <laughs> movie with a plot, yeah, I, I think they did pretty well. I think so. <laughs> I mean, anyone trying to make ice cream out of the the people he kills, I mean, is, has has to be uh, has to be respected. Now, they did try to do a Kickstarter campaign in 2014 to try to do yeah, a sequel. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, called Sunday Bloody Sunday, and uh, and I, I don't think uh, <laughs> they were trying to reach like three hundred thousand dollars, and they only made like four thousand dollars, which. Which which sucks. I I feel like with this film kind of being out on Blu-ray now, maybe they would have a, a chance at doing this. I don't know if they've fully abandoned that. I but, was uh, surprised it was so low. Uh, I do run in circles where this is like a a one people love though. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if beyond that circles if this film is known at all. But yeah. I don't know. I I think it'd almost be worth trying again. Like yeah, because we have more streaming opportunities now, and now we have this really nice Blu-ray. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't know, guys. I think so. Might I think the time out is, again. I think the time is the time is right. But yeah, I, I don't even know if this had a. Did this have a DVD release? This was one that I was I couldn't find like a decent release of it for the longest time, and that's why I never bought it. Like I didn't even buy it on DVD, which I think says something because this was one that was always been on my mind to buy, but uh, but I never did. So so yeah, maybe it was just an ill timed uh, Kickstarter. I'll I'll drop Clinton Howard a line and uh, I'll ask him. Yeah, he seems like the sweetest guy and. His interview with Joe Bob Briggs in that extra on there, it, mm -hmm. it has a lot of really 
fun behind the scenes information. He knew exactly the kind of film he made. He and he had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Clint Howard's he's fantastic. He's always really, really fun. When I initially planned on talking about Ice Cream Man, it was not sold out on VinegarSyndrome.com or anywhere else. Uh, a few days have passed, and now it's now it's sold out. So w- the word f- that I'm getting is that they are going to be reprinting this without the slipcover. So we'll keep you guys in the loop on that. And I'm not sure now, I mean, now that it's sold out, it might get added to... Um, a monthly package or it might just appear on their site. So what I'll do is I'll look into this and I'll make sure um, all the information about all the stuff is in the show notes and, and everything like that. So um, funny, funny how things happen like that. So we apologize for taunting you. We didn't know. I know for sure it's getting reprinted. So, um, so don't do not go to eBay and pay $60 for this damn thing. Unless um, it's me. I'm taking offers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so it's not gone forever. It, uh, it is, uh, I did get confirmation that it is going to be reprinted just like a uh, liquid sky. So, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it uh, for your segment, Stephanie. Thank you so much for, for joining right. us and, and uh, in a, in a couple of weeks, we'll all be hopefully together. I'm working on uh, working on that. None of this piecemeal bullshit. We'll all be together. I'm sorry. One big happy family. And how about you watch some of these Blu-ray sets you got, fancy pants? Okay, I promise. <laughs> I'll report back. All right, um, we will talk to you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Josh Obershaw now joins us for the Blu-ray News. Josh, what's up, man? What? What up? How's it going? It's going good. We are uh, pummeling through a Vinegar Syndrome episode. Um, And uh, I know that these past few weeks seem to have been a bit slow on the announcement front, but uh, there's a little bit to dive into. So what do you got? Well, we, speaking of vinegar syndrome, we just got some late word right now about – we're just going to give you a little sneak peek of what they got for April. The report is coming in that they are going to be releasing the 1989 crime thriller Blue Vengeance for April. So, uh, no other details other than that except, uh, yeah, there's a little sneak peek for you about what's coming soon later in the spring. Very cool. Next up from Kino Lorber, they've just announced that they're going to be releasing a Blu-ray DVD of the movie Seven. Now, this is not the classic, super awesome David Fincher movie. This is from 1979. Sean, tell us a little bit more about this movie called Seven, which is not the David Fincher movie. Seven is a 1979 Andy Sedaris film. And I have no idea what the movie's about, but the cover is incredible. And of course, Andy Sedaris, uh, director of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Now, uh-huh. I really hope this means that we're going to get some more Andy Sedaris on Blu-ray because Hard Ticket to, Hard Ticket to Hawaii on Blu-ray would be uh, worth celebrating. But this is a start. I'm, uh, I haven't seen this one, and... Uh, it looks fantastic. I guess here we go. Let's read. The, I'm going to read the uh, what it's about. Okay. Okay. 
A cartel of seven crime bosses unionize and plan to take over the state of Hawaii. Government intelligence agents, agent Drew Savano is hired to handle the situation however he sees fit. Drew enlists seven old friends to help, creating Savano 7, the playmate, the black belt, the dragster, the cowboy, the comic, the professor, and the Indian. Sold. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Totally pumped about this. If you're a fan of Malibu Express or Hard Ticket to Hawaii, uh, definitely, definitely, this will be something that you will probably be looking forward to. I'm really excited about that. I mean, Andy Sedaris is a lot of fun. Yeah, I've seen Hard Ticket to Hawaii, and I, I just... I just love this so much. <laughs> so I'm very curious to find uh, more movies from this guy. I yeah. saw the poster for this and I uh, thought it was, is this a porno? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and um, Sedaris, I mean, he, he kind of peaked with hard ticket to Hawaii. That's probably his best one. But if you have the, uh, what is it? Uh, guns and G strings DVD set or whatever. That's, that's only like seven bucks. And it's, uh, it's, this should be in everyone's collection. But yeah, I mean, if this opens the way to, Andy Sedaris Blu-rays, uh, this this will be worth it. So I'm excited to check it out. Cool. Well, the only other label that I've got news for you is going to be Arrow. Now, it is the first weekend of the new month, but I didn't hear anything regarding any reissues. But they did announce their titles for May. So... Starting with the UK, they're going to be putting out a Blu-ray of Dark Blue, which is with Kurt Russell. That one's coming out on May 7th. And they are also going to be releasing Rawhead Rex for the UK crowd on May 14th. Now, for the UK and the US, they're going to be releasing the Bloodthirsty Trilogy box set, which includes The Vampire Doll, Lake of Dracula, and Evil of Dracula. That one is coming out on the 14th in the UK and the 15th here. They're also releasing Death Smiles on a Murderer. That is coming out on the 21st in the UK and the 22nd here. But probably the biggest news of the month as far as new titles, Wes Craven's The Last House on the Left. Awesome. I'm I'm assuming this didn't get the treatment that um, The Hills Have Eyes got. Uh, Yes. Definitely. Let's see what we have here. We've got uh, disc one, the uncut version, archival commentaries with Craven and Sean S. Cunningham, a whole bunch of interviews, uh, of course, ones with uh, David ha- uh, David Hess. It's only a movie, The Making of the Last House on the Left, which is an archival documentary. But yeah, it just looks pretty spectacular. I mean, it, oh, man. I'm going to have to um, – I've only seen this movie once, and it, <laughs> yeah, I have – and that – when was this? About 12 years ago. I haven't watched it since. It's not so, one that really begs for a revisit. I mean, it's a pretty hard yeah. watch, I, I think. It's, I mean, the the remake is almost an easier rewatch, for, I, I think, because they kind of toned down that rape scene, and it's definitely – they lean heavy on the revenge aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I, I – I'm interested in revisiting it. It's one that I have not revisited for a very long time. So I think this, I mean, I have 
the Blu-ray of it, um, the uh, last Blu- Blu-ray. But if this one, if they're giving it the the treatment that they gave, um, the Hills Have Eyes, then I think this is definitely going to be like the final purchase, and you know it, that would make it worth owning. But it's it's a yeah, it's a tough movie, one that I haven't really wanted to, to revisit. Yeah, well, this too has the Krugen Company and R-rated cuts, cuts huh. plural. So, yeah, so that alone is definitely going to be worth the price of picking this one out for sure. Uh, This is coming out in the UK on May 28th, and it's going to be here in the US on the 29th, but you can already pre-order it via Amazon. I know Diabolic DVD has it, so if you want it, go get it right now. Yep, Grindhouse uh, Video as well will have this for pre-order, so yeah. Sweet. Yep. Find it where you where you can get this thing pre ordered, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to uh, to add this to my collection, and, and it'll be the final time I, I probably purchase this film. <laughs> it'll be the only time that I'll purchase this movie. <laughs> but it, it it as as brutal and as horrific as that movie is, I mean, it's definitely important. And yeah, I still miss Wes Craven. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an important piece of of horror history for sure. And yes, it's one of those, you know, uh, that definitely worth warrants this type of treatment. So awesome. Cool. That's all I got this time, John. All right, man. Maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll get some news about what's coming out during the summertime. I know Shout Factory has their big summer scream sale with Scream Factory. All right, Josh. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, guys. Upson joins us right now for a little uh, Vinegar Syndrome update. What's up, How's man? How's it going, everyone? <laughs> I want to start doing these more as we move along this year with our Vinegar Syndrome episodes. I feel like sometimes we just kind of talk about the movies, but I, I feel like we've missed some opportunities to really kind of talk to you you guys and see, you know, get a little some deeper insight to some of the things you guys are working on. So thanks for taking the time and uh, chatting with me. Yeah, no problem. So the on on this particular show, what we're going to be we, what we are discussing is uh, Fugitive Girls, Prey, uh, the two penitentiary films, and Lucifer's Women, and I'm pretty excited nice. to jump into those. BJ and I a little bit later will be discussing some of the ponos, so Ooh, she'll have right. a little uh, little backroom update on on those. But um, these ones like were a fun bunch to kind of go through, and especially Prey because I'd never really heard of it. Well, Lucifer's Women too. Um, so I was wondering, like, like were these part of some sort of uh, package deal? Were these films that you guys had in your archive in particular, or you know, what was the these two in particular, Lucifer's Women and Prey? Um, how did you guys end up getting, I guess, access to these ones? Uh, no, th- those were both uh, licensing. Okay. Licensing. Uh, we licensed from uh, a great guy named Sam Sherman for Lucifer's Women and also, I guess, Dr. Dracula, which is yeah. the alternate cut. But, uh, yeah, for, uh, um, what was it? Yeah, Prey. And uh, we're, we're doing a few others of his films. We It was through Euro uh, London for Norman J. Warren, the director. So, But, yeah, no, that's that's how we got the awesome. licensing for those. 
Well, these were two fun surprises for me. I had never, I had heard of Dr. Dracula, but I've never, had never seen it and, um, just watch. And I, and I, my first experience with that film was this cut of Lucifer's women, which was (laughs) a lot more than I bargained for, I think, (laughs) but it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, so I'm I'm glad people can finally discover discover this thing you know in its full glory because I think this is one that had been relegated to just like VHS before I know that it well, or just that Lucifer's, that cut Lucifer's Women that was that's the original cut and right. aside from theatrical premiering it it never played anywhere else and it was re heavily re edited into Doctor Dracula by. Al Adamson and Sam Sherman, they, they wanted to, you know, it was pretty common to re-edit these films to try and get more money, get more play in the theaters. Um, Cause Lucifer's woman, I really like it, but it is a bit more cerebral, I guess, and a little bit more on the, the soft core mm-hmm. stuff necessarily than the, the, the horror aspect, but I still love it. Um, it's really good to have a lot for a lot of people. They thought Lucifer's woman, that particular cut was lost and it was just great to find it. But uh, no, it's, it came out really good. I thought, I feel. Yeah, this is a, this is definitely one that I, I would highly recommend for people to check out. So uh, we'll be diving into these films a little bit more, a little bit later in the show. Um, I did have a question for you guys. You probably can't announce it or anything, but uh, is there the possibility of Penitentiary 3 seeing the light of day? <laughs> well, there's always the possibility, but <laughs> with Penitentiary 3, it's a little different because it's not owned by uh, Xenon Films. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the, the other Jama Fanaka films are owned by Xenon, and it was pretty easy to license. We did, you know, the Dolomite films through them. Mm-hmm. We didn't, we've done uh, we're we actually upcoming. We have Welcome Home, Brother Charles and Emma May as well. But uh, unfortunately, Penitentiary 3, I believe, is a it's like a big studio one, oh, oddly okay. enough. So huh. that's a little bit more difficult, a little bit. It's a little bit a little bit harder to try and get get a hold of. That's not to say it won't happen, but it's not really in the pipeline right now. OK, but it, it may happen in the future. Who okay. knows? All right. Um so moving along, I wanted to, I, I know that you guys have been posting about, you know, you announced star time and we had in a, in a crazy cross of fate. Um, <laughs> we had talked about the VH, you know, put in our VHS segment a couple of weeks back or I guess a few weeks back now. And so you guys have been, um, I'm hearing an echo. I apologize, everybody. We had to, we had to try to make this recording work. So, if there's an echo, there's an <laughs> echo. Um, God, it's just so weird. It just appeared. Oh, well. Am I, do I have the echo on mine? I can't no, hear it. No, no, I'm, I'm hearing it in my headphones, but uh, okay. yeah, it is what it is. But uh, but for, for me, when, when you guys announced that, I was a huge, I was very excited to actually be able to see this thing you know, in a, in a cleaned up print because, you know, I, I watched the VHS version and it was just, uh, just God awful. So, uh, and I know this is a lesser known title. What can people expect from this film who hadn't really heard about it? What, what are you guys doing to, well, the first, the first big thing, I mean, we restored it from the, the camera negative, the original director's cut, um, which is, you know, significantly, I guess, brighter. He could actually see what's going on <laughs> and, uh, um, understand it a bit more. We, you know, we had a kind of restored sound with it as well. 
Uh, we got a new interview. We got um, new audio commentary with the film's director. Uh, and then we also got an audio or a video interview with the cinematographer. And what's really cool about the cinematographer, um, he he actually started off on. I'm sure I'm sure people have to know this listening to this uh, this Bruce Campbell Sam Raimi film called The Intruder. Oh, okay. I think yeah, that was that was his first experience shooting in the U.S. too. He's from Spain, and he's kind of done all these crazy kind of. You know, he did a, a, a few other horror films and everything too. Uh, he's he's moved on to like kind of like the the greener Hollywood pastures with in television and has been doing that for a long time. But he he started off kind of with that with that era. And oddly enough, the additional cinematography in the film there's a couple parts which were you know additional, and one of them was uh, Janusz Kaminski. Who right? Who has been Steven Spielberg's longtime cinematographer for God? I think since Schindler's List, even. Wow. So, yeah, and it's just crazy that they all kind of got started around this little film, and yeah. I really like it. It's it's really surreal. Um, I, I I really like how it how it goes in terms of like murder, but also like celebrity and mm-hmm. you know, kind of being that little te- television addiction and what what you want to. You know, you have to keep it, you know, controlled, I guess, is yeah. the term. Well, but, that was the biggest but surprise. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great film. It's just, it's very, it was very strange. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. No, I, I love the, that there is is this social commentary on it. And it's almost before it's time, you know, like there's a little bit of reality televisions in there. There's, it's just, yeah, I'm really excited for people to, to discover this one. And, and like I said, I just had this list of these VHS flicks that Brad kind of worked out and said, Hey, what about these? And this was in there. And, um, and I'm really happy to see that, that this is getting released from you guys, especially cause I know it's gonna look fantastic. So yeah, I'm excited. Oh, to see, yeah. I, I mean, some of the screens, you guys have put some, posted some screenshots here. Are they from, um, from the, yeah, they're from the, the restoration. Yeah. 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 They look great, man. I, I these look yeah. way better than how I viewed them for sure. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, yeah, I definitely recommend people uh, check that one out for sure. We'll be discussing. Well, I, I will, we'll be discussing this, I guess a little bit more and, and uh, as a group, we'll discuss the, uh, the restoration, what we think about it and, and everything. But yeah, if you're listening to this and you're on the fence about buying this, like I'm not just saying this just cause I'm talking to Brandon. Like I'm you need to get get your hands on this thing. You'll you definitely will uh will enjoy the hell out of it. Um so what else we got going on here? Uh let's see here. Okay. I know you mentioned uh Fugitive Girls and Yes. Uh, that's yeah. been a really <laughs> kind of great film for us. And what was cool seeing that is just the fact that Ed Wood is in it. Yes. Uh not not only twice, he's in it three times, but the third time I think it's literally just his hand for a little bit or something <laughs> like that or his leg. And uh, But just seeing Ed Wood uh, in a film where he's, you know, the strange old codger, you know, on the, on the, on the air, airplane uh, hangar, ver- then all of a sudden later on, and this he's not credited for, but it's totally him, is he plays the straight-laced sheriff at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just knowing that that's Ed Wood, and then you like hear the stories behind the scenes about it, it's just it's just crazy. So it's just one of those great you know films, and 
and just I, I don't know, but like seeing Fugitive Girls, seeing the other uh, AC Stevens, Ed Wood uh, collaborations, mm-hmm. which I think we're going to do a couple more as okay. well. Um, I'm not sure on the titles, but I know I think we are working on a couple others. But I think Fugitive Girls, for in a lot of ways, is the, the like one of the best, just because of the, the, the chaos in it. Mm-hmm. And you have Renee Bond, and as like this racist Southern woman, so it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this was a fun batch to dive into, um, and uh, yeah, Fugitive Girls, aka Five Loose Women. Uh, was a lot of fun. And and I don't know what it is about. I mean, I know that there was a lot of you know, the sexploitation stuff in, in the seventies and everything. And I just, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I'm always shocked with how far some of these films go in the, in the terms of like the sexual content, because I'm just, you know, I, I, you know, I wasn't watching movies around then. Of course I wasn't even born yet. Probably when this came out, but it's, I don't, I don't, and I don't know how mainstream these films were, like if they're playing at drive-ins or, or, or what, but it's always shocking to kind of, to see a film like this. Um, when you, I, I just figured it would be like a women in prison type flick, but, uh, but it goes farther than some of the women in prison films that I've seen before on certain aspects of it. So it was a uh, pretty, pretty fun to check out. So. Our, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you, absolutely. And it, with going with that too, it, it's a, it is a bit more, I guess, somehow sleazier than your yeah. average women in prison yeah. flick too. <laughs> but, but not necessarily from the men's point, you know what I mean? Like it's not the men being yeah. necessarily sleazy in it, which was kind of a, cause normally you have like a, there's always one, you know, rapey prison guard or something like that in these films. And in this case, it was kind of a little bit different from what I've seen before. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of fun to be surprised when you're watching these. Do you have anything? So you, so you have the, this is sexploitation signature series number four. Um, is that something you're, you guys plan on moving forward with? Do you have in this next batch, did you have anything with that little title on the side? Um, I'm trying to think so far. No, the next one, let's see. I gotta, I gotta look it up real quick mm-hmm. here, but, uh, um, I'll be editing a little bit. So no, yeah, the next, the next one, is actually Triple uh, X. It's Babyface Two, which okay. there are a lot of fans for Babyface One, so I'm sure a lot of people like this too. It's a little bit more, I guess, more mainstream even for Dorenzi. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a it's a really great one. That that's just going to be a normal uh, Blu-ray line um, for the next ones though. Aside from Star Time and Welcome Home, Brother Charles MMA, another really interesting one is uh, Confessions of a Teenage Peanut Butter Freak, <laughs> which it's kind of what you imagine it to be <laughs> in your head. And, and, uh, but it's somehow it's a lot, it's a bit more, I guess, more taken seriously too. Yeah. And the way they, they make the storyline, I don't want to spoil it too much, yeah. but it's <laughs> just like how they involve, like he, he, the, this person basically uses peanut butter as almost like, a worry stone or is something like when he gets anxiety, when <laughs> he's about to have sex and stuff, it, it, he just starts eating peanut butter <laughs> randomly. And it's, it gets weird. Of course there's, you know, naughty stuff with the peanut right, butter too, right. but that's another story. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, but it's honestly a great film I recommend. And then it has really good kind of just groovy, uh, the old X rated seventies, groovy rock yeah. music throughout the whole film. So, 
Um, but for for that month, I'd, Star Time is probably my favorite out of out of that month. Although Welcome Home, Brother Charles, and MMA mm-hmm. are are great on their own as well. Yeah. yeah. But as far as like the sexploitation line, uh, we're definitely going to continue. I'm not sure what the next one is though. Okay. Okay. What's what's the reaction been like so far? Because I know you guys are pretty involved with your that uh, the fan group online and everything uh, and on Facebook. What's been the the responses from Star Time so far? If you've kind of put that out there, have do people seem kind of wary of it, unsure, or are people looking forward to it? Uh, I I'd say they're looking forward to it, but also that they're. It, it's a more obscure title yeah. too that hasn't seen a DVD release yeah. ever. It was really only available on VHS, uh, but I think it it'll get a really good audience too, and the people who do know it seem to love it. So uh, I think it's it's going to go well. Awesome, awesome. And now I want to talk to you about, a little bit about kind of the, your limited edition stock for um, Ice Cream Man. Is that still available? We haven't talked about it on the show yet. I mean, kind of holding off a little bit but um yeah that's still a bit i mean the well it's the slip case that's yeah. still available yeah and then um but yeah there, there there's a few a few left okay um we are re- we are re-releasing liquid sky right. that's coming out in april as well so you'll be able to get that as well and then um but yeah otherwise yeah the stocks should okay. be accurate are you going to be site. are you going to be doing re-releasing uh, ice cream man as a part of a package in the future or is that uh we're going to keep that the way it is now because i know that I it was, it, the way it is now i think okay. and then uh once the uh, just, i think when once it's ready it'll, it'll be just standard edition i guess so yeah so that the standard edition might happen later on down the line once the stock runs out of the the slipcase ones okay. yeah pretty much okay yeah i've been trying to well, hold off i'm, I'm like been trying to wait and talk about those and I want to make sure everyone can, if we, if we talk about a flick, I want to make sure that they can go out and grab it. So yeah, liquid sky in April. Um, so we'll be, we'll cover that in April. I know that Stephanie Crawford and I are going to be talking about liquid sky on, uh, my little side project podcast, Xenopod from the year 5,000. We'll be, her and I are probably going to be discussing that. So you'll get a full in-depth discussion with her and I, but we'll be covering it, uh, along with the April and, um, I guess the March and April packages will combine and we'll talk about all those. So, um, it's, it's fantastic, man. That's a great little film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, no, it, that was a, that was kind of a labor of love for us. Oh man. It's it so all, good. Getting all together. It was, it was nuts, but I'm glad the response has been fantastic for it. And, uh, just the appreciation of the film, like what Slava, the director went through to make that thing <laughs> back in the eighties and kind of like, almost the the prem, premonitions of the film with like regarding like AIDS and mm-hmm. just all this stuff involved evolved in the film as well. So, but nice. yeah, it came out really awesome. Nice. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to bring up your guys, your five films in five years, volumes one and two. Uh, that was awesome that you guys did that. And uh, I know that, uh, that Steph and I will be, talking about uh the exploitation one for sure but um what what prompted you guys to do that have you always thought you know maybe this would be a great idea or was that did you have enough people finally asking for for these films because most of these were kind of limited edition runs you had done previous years within the past five years right well all of, all of them were really D, just dvd only yeah. at first um 
not, not necessarily limited edition. Murder on the Emerald Seas on the exploitation one definitely was, but okay. a few of the other, uh, all, pretty much all the others were just regu- your just regular DVDs. You could find them anywhere. But this is kind of where we just wanted to make an upgrade for for people who really wanted these films as well on Blu-ray and uh, get the high def versions of them as well. So. You know, it was just an idea we had cooking, and then uh, it went over really well. So I think we're we are gonna do, you know, volumes three and four pretty soon too. So who knows? Awesome. But uh, uh, yeah, we, I think the plan is now to upgrade kind of the older DVDs, just just in collections like this, and kind of go from there. Right. Yeah, um, that's a great idea. It makes it, it accessible. Just, it depends what people want too, mm-hmm. though. So if we get a lot of requests for a certain title, we'll go for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And, uh, moving along, I want to, uh, I wanted to ask you how the archive is going. Cause you guys have the, the your brick and mortar store, uh, there in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And yeah, it's, I, uh, I'm so jealous that that's there. Like there's all the brick and mortar stores around me are just drying up, gone. Yeah. Even the best buy section of movies is awful. Targets is <laughs> all my shopping now for movies is completely online. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to ask you how, how, how well, that's going there. Cause it's so much more than just a store to create some more of a community, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing we, we wanted to kind of create that, you know, and people have asked or, you know, locally too, Hey, can we pick up, just pick up your releases at vinegar syndrome and vinegar syndrome itself is not really built for that. Uh-huh. It's mostly online. And then we have our film archive and, it's not really meant for, for that, but, you know, now we have a brick-and-mortar store at our facility, and what's great about that is people can pick up their orders there, hmm. but also browse, you know, Aero Video, Synapse, Severin, you name it. They're, they're all there. Um, we we kind of pride ourselves because we do carry stuff that even, even in other stores you wouldn't find, uh, like more obscure stuff like Massacre Video and um, a lot of crazy vhs and records and it's kind of like uh it's it's kind of i guess you'd call it like a little horror and cult geek paradise i hope (laughs) that's what people would want but it's been going really good so far uh in fact you know we've been we've been talking about expanding the space and adding more uh we have we finished up the second floor and we had a couple screenings go for uh um, for a local radio station too, mm-hmm. and the, the screenings went really well. So now, the second floor is kind of our screening room. We're going to be doing a few more. We'll probably premiere some rest, uh, vinegar syndrome restorations. And um, but no, it's been going fantastic. Um, we're we're so f- we're still only open Friday, Saturday, Sundays. We're hoping to expand the hours pretty soon. Um, trying to think but yeah we got a lot of just great stuff in we we got the dawn of the dead the waxworks records re-release we got stuff like uh from agfa soul tangler dvd which is you want obscure (laughs) that's pretty crazy and obscure right there but uh we just got a lot of great stuff and of course we have everyone could come in and purchase all the vinegar syndrome titles as well so but it's it was a lot of work to get it started but now that it's going it's 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 not lent up so awesome awesome uh, that, that's yeah really and, encouraging to hear <laughs> yeah i know i know that uh and you i've know, had people call from like california and yeah. elsewhere like they're they go on the east coast to new york and 
you know, if you, if you really want, it's only an hour and a half train ride and we're three blocks from the main train station out of Grand, out of, from Grand Central to Bridgeport. And yeah, we're three blocks from the Bridgeport train station. So it works out for people traveling too. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, no, you know, you know, Grindhouse video, of course, we talk about a lot on the, on the show. Like that's, that's oh, they're little, great. Uh, yeah. I still, I still keep meaning one day I'll get down to Tampa and actually go to the <laughs> store. To awesome. Stuff. Yeah. But it's just so weird that there's nothing at all like that in my area, like at all. Like yeah. there's a, uh, you know, I'm in Southern California. So up near Riverside. There's a place called Mad Platter, um, which I never, I'm never up that way, but they, they were more like, you know, just used stuff and, and vinyl and, and stuff, but never like yeah. anything like cult, you know, film or anything like that at all. It was by the time I'd combed through all the cult stuff, it was all just mainstream stuff. So I, I stopped going cause there's like nothing left of anything yeah. that I was interested in. I mean, well, if you come to the East coast, you get, you get kind of spoiled too. Cause uh-huh. like, yeah, they're unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate like FYE and, you know, Best Buy's scaling back and FYEs are closing and all the mainstream stuff is, but there's actually uh, a fair amount on, you know, further past Connecticut in, if you're in the Boston area or going for points North, you have Newberry comics, which is pretty good. But then my favorite is you have bull moose and bull moose is like the archive times 10, but franchised (laughs) for like six different stores. So it's, but you know, the closest one is in New Hampshire, but I made the trip up there and it is worth it. So, nice. but yeah, I'm, you know, people seem to come to the archive saying it's worth it. And there's nothing like that. Even in like New York city for the, for a while you had Kim's in New, New York, but then that closed. And now it's kind of just, just to us, as far as the cult movies are concerned, yeah. you know? So. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys are picking up the torch there. Um, so, well, we're going to wrap up here soon, but I did want to mention everyone who hasn't, I know I tweeted out the link a while ago about you guys' lab work. And I think you and I, I think it was you and I, and maybe James talked about, um, the lab work that you guys had done. So on your website, if you go to vinegarsyndrome.com and then click on, uh, uh, I'm getting messages on my Facebook. <laughs> But it's a fun to go through and see all the lab work you guys have done for other labels. And uh, so, if you you know, I would always recommend people to check that out to see some of them. These are probably all movies all of you have in your collections already. And I think you and I talked about it a little bit, right? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I I know the the newest one that we I think we just added is uh, on Fromero Video Scalpel, which which came out really nice. Um, and I think we added, a on basket case, we didn't, we didn't do the restoration for basket case, but what we did do was the scan, uh, for his short film slash the knife, which if you can pick up, anyone can pick up the basket, basket case, Blu-ray, the slash of the knife, uh, short is really awesome and kind of showed you, you know, oh, from man. what Frank Kenlauder was all about in his student film days. So it was, it was really cool to help with that. Well, damn it, man, you're going to make me rebuy basket case. I have a UK, uh, trilogy, the basket case trilogy steel book. Oh, whatever. And yeah, now, everyone had that. Now, <laughs> so, yeah, now no, I need the, to buy the, the arrow version to, see, <laughs> to <laughs> see that. Yeah. All right, Brandon. Uh, well, thanks man for, uh, for chatting with me about, about this stuff. We'll try to make this a regular thing. Um, you know, every every couple months, we'll have you and and possibly James if he's not uh, slaving away. 
uh, (laughs) on and and just kind of chat things up with what you guys have been doing. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Right now, Rob Hunter joins me on the Screamcast. Brad Henderson may or may not show up in this conversation. We'll see what happens. Rob, welcome to the Screamcast. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. I've got my pants half off in expectation yeah. that Brad may or may not show up. Awesome. Yep. He's a, he's a tease, that Brad. <laughs> That's one way to describe him. <laughs> this section of the show, we are going to be going through the last couple months of Vinegar Syndrome releases without the porn. Uh, BJ will be joining us a little bit later to get raw and dirty. So uh, so look forward to that in uh, in about an hour, everybody. So if you want to skip an hour and hear the, the dirty stuff, that's going to happen. But uh, Rob, we are going to be talking about Penitentiary 1 and 2. We're going to be talking about Fugitive Girls and then Prey, and then Lucifer's Women. Are you ready to rock and roll? I'm always ready to rock and roll. That's exactly the way I was born. Exactly, and that's why I contacted you when uh, when Brad uh, was not sure if he could make it or not. So I was like, I need to have a good old standby, and that's that's always you. Oddly, it won't be the first time that I've substituted and stood in for Brad. Um, usually, it's at parties and like you know, like uh, important events with important people, right? Where he needs to appear like as a professional. But right, um, right. this this will probably also work. <laughs> Fantastic! And you've been uh, you, you've hoard yourself out onto the with the uh, <laughs> before with Brian Sauer on uh, on in, in the on the Screaming Pods Network. So if if you're listening to the Screaming shows on the Screaming Pods Network, uh, you have showed up. In, uh, in other formats as well. I have. This is actually my, my first time back with you guys since you like became this amalgamated uh, amorphous blob of, of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So uh, welcome back. I did appreciate your thoughts on Bat Pussy uh, during that episode with Brian on Just the Discs during the, uh, oh, what, what's that? What's that line called? It starts with an A. I always pronounce it wrong. Oh, the a- AGFA? Yeah, AGFA. AGFA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I still stand by behind uh, Bat Pussy being one of the finest finest finds <laughs> in recent history. <laughs> it sounds like a blast. And I was surprised that they um that they released that release that I was like, man, this is something that would be perfect for vinegar syndrome when I was hearing about it. But uh the fact that they're they're willing to to uh you know, nut up or shut up and bring in bad pussy uh, on that label was uh, was pretty fantastic. I, th- I think that, I think these two like, these two labels are, are probably the most similar of, mm. of all labels because they I mean they both are pulling you know movies out of obscurity, um, oftentimes <clears throat> from like just like basically like you know one one single reel is like all lots of it or whatever it might be or one, one single you know copy of the film, um, and then doing just bang up jobs cleaning it up and then also adding in you know plenty of extras. So I think yeah. both of them are are, are doing uh, the Lord's work awesome. as you were. Awesome. So check out Agfa. We're here to talk about Vinegar Syndrome and their luscious releases. First, let's jump into Jama Fanaka's Penitentiary.
call the lieutenant and you tell him if he wants rumble, we'll give him rumble. Hoping I pronounce his name right. It sounded good to me. I apologize, anyone, anyone out there who would be uh, who knows the pre- pre- the correct way to pronounce that. But Jama Fanaka, this was his uh, entry into kind of like the black exploitation. This was nineteen seventy nine. Um, kind of this this one, unlike the other penitentiaries, this started out more of a, this is more of a drama, some exploitation, kind of sort of in and, in and around there as the movie kind of goes on. But uh, this stars Leon Isaac Kennedy. He is Martel, too sweet Gordon, and he is wrongfully imprisoned uh, when he is, he's uh, he's homeless, I guess you can say. He's wandering in the desert, and he's picked up by a woman uh, in a van called the Shaggin Wagon, <laughs> and uh, her name's Linda. She picks him up, and turns out she's a, she's a prostitute, but uh, she may or may not give him some freebies, and they end up... Uh, at a diner, and there's two guys that I think were the men that she was uh, going to meet that were going to pay her disgruntled for her services. customers. Yes, very disgruntled, uh, kind of racist, and uh, shit goes down. And uh, I believe does one of them die? Yeah, one of them. Uh, yep. One of yep. them dies uh, during the uh, the confrontation, and uh, he's sent to jail. <clears throat> and then there, our movie kind of goes from there. Uh, becomes kind of a prison movie, a um, little bit of boxing, but I was um, the boxing almost kind of comes secondary towards the end. Yeah, and, the the <clears throat> the action in the movie is, is definitely. Um, I feel like it. The franchise grows into the action eventually, mm-hmm. but the for this first movie, it's definitely more of a. Uh, to your point, that the drama and a little bit of a commentary on <clears throat> on prison conditions and on you know on this world, um, and then it has these <clears throat> sorry these exploitative elements thrown into it, whether it be like getting into the violence of it, or then also you know like the the non sequitur uh, sex scene <laughs> during that one boxing fight, um, yeah. where it just kind of like is all mashed together to uh, again kind of like create this world, but the action part of it really is kind of like <clears throat> a, a secondary backdrop to the story of, of this guy's uh, journey and then the world that's in this prison. Cause it really is yeah. like a world building going on in this prison here. Yeah, definitely. And what I, what I really liked about this movie kind of off the bat is yeah, there's the exploitation aspect there, but like the fights and the confrontations that happen in the movie kind of, they feel real as in like they're messy. Um, there's a scene where he's, uh, he's fighting another, is his basic cellmate and it's just, it's ugly. Like it's not like, cause we're used to these choreographed fight scenes, right? In action flicks and as we, but it's, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of just holding each other, trying to get each other down, trying to maybe gouge eyes out and things like that. But it's just, and it goes on almost like a little too long, but, um, you know, I mean, one of that that one scene especially reminded me of the scene in They Live, where that fight scene just keeps on going and going. <laughs> but this is closed quarters in a cell, and it's very to me. It feels very real. Like, what do you feel about? Kind that, of, that's guess, actually exactly what I 
when I, when I wrote them up uh, last month, that's actually what I was commenting on as well, that the, it's, the action here is not in, in the slightest bit stylized or, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's choreographed, but it doesn't feel kind of like, you know, choreographed to give, mm-hmm. you know, viewers kind of like a, you know, an oh, cool moment or like, oh, yeah, kind of like, it's not like exciting in that sense or, or um, you know, just cool to watch. It is more about, uh, it feels like just scrapping. It feels like, you know, just like a, a brawl, which is, I mean, it's it's fitting. It's what it should be. Um, but that's part of also why the, the action feels kind of secondary here because it's, it's a, uh, it's not a movie like like you have something like the um uh, the Scott Adkins movies those undisputed movies <laughs> right. those movies it's it's him fighting in prisons but the the centerpiece of those movies is these just kick ass you know ridiculously great fight scenes mm-hmm. the rest of it not so much it's just generic action movie plot whatever but but those fight scenes are where all the energy goes here um it's like they reach the point where it's time to fight and they just said okay you know just go at it kind of thing um and it works because this is what these characters would be essentially doing i mean they're, they're not going to be these like highly trained martial artists and so this yeah. this makes more sense and so it is ugly um and more human and more you know just kind of like down in the dirt kind of just just fighting and that's again it, it's fitting and it, it works for these characters yeah now this was released by xenon entertainment uh the first two sequels released by xenon entertainment um so there's there's three penitentiary sequels or movies and the the third one i was talking to brandon upson uh in the segment before this and the third one um because i asked him i'm like are we going to be able to see a blu-ray of penitentiary three but it was released by canon group um so we don't they don't know he was very um obscure on if this would (laughs) see a a blu-ray released from them but it would be Basically, somebody who owns the rights, I believe, to Canon films, possibly. But um, uh, these, as they go along, they kind of get more and more, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, more generic actioners. But kind of, I believe, they kind of progress slowly. But, um, but yeah, the the actor. Well, no, the character that his cellmate is called. His name's Half Dead, and uh, and he's you know this tall, this tall like lanky guy and, and and like i loved i just loved watching the tussles with with those two because it's just so like you can it just feels so like gross and sweaty and grimy <laughs> well there's just, it's just if, if like i said if it feels like it's um i mean the the obviously these are low budget this is a low mm-hmm. budget movie so there's not like you don't have a lot to go for and so the most of what you're getting and most of what you're feeling off screen is coming from you know these characters and just the again this this world they've created in in this prison um it's it feels uh b- both um you know disturbing because of what's you know going on and what's allowed and it feels like it's a obviously clearly understandably dangerous place to be um but then also you have these individual characters who stand out with these you know with these nicknames you know with with their behaviors with their dialogue um, and so that I think that is where, for me, anyways, that's where the movie succeeds best. L- less so as a you know as an action movie, is where it's kind of pitched as you know like a prison action movie, and more so as uh, a character piece, looking at the types of people that are in there and what they're you know kind of forced to go through. Yeah, yeah, and, and all this, like like you said, does seem secondary. The the director uh, Jama Fanaka, he was his he was born Walter Gordon, and he changed his name to Jama Fanaka, and he became a a director, kind of leading directors. There's a thing called the LA Rebellion Film Movement, and this was uh, it was also called the Los Angeles School of Black Filmmakers, um, and also the UCA, UCLA Rebellion. And um, so they all were, you know, creating movies between I believe like the late 60s and into the late 80s. 
and these are kind of definitely fall into those. Do, were you familiar at all with uh, with with his background in this? I, I wasn't. I, I had he, these movies. Uh, I had seen this first movie, this first penitentiary, ages ago, um, mm-hmm. but I, I had never seen the second or third or anything else that he had done. Um, so I was aware of his name because of just having seen this first movie a while ago. Um, but I, I had no knowledge of uh, you know his his past experiences. Yeah. No, um, apparently there's a documentary called Spirits of Rebellion, Black Cinema at, Black Cinema at UCLA that I want to track down, and it features information about, about this movement. But um, The, the Kennedy it, interview that's on this disc uh-huh. is, a, is a good one. Uh, I mean, he, he, he talks about his career. Uh, this is the lead actor. He talks about his career and all that. But he, he gets into uh, working with the director on, on these films and as far as like just the, again, the relationship they had. But also, I, think a, I believe there's a little bit of reflection on uh, that, that past kind of stuff that you're talking about, too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And there is an archival because he's, he's not with us any longer. He passed away in 2012. Um, they do have a commentary with him um, on, on this first one, which is, uh, which is really great to have. To kind of hear his uh, his commentary track, and I believe also on Penitent- Penitentiary Two, there isn't a commentary with him as well. So, I so have, slow down there, slow down there, Sean. You're getting ahead of yourself. We're I know, I know, I know. Did you get a chance to listen to the commentary at all? I did like, not yet. It's tough for me to dive into all the all the extras <laughs> with my schedule. It's fair. You're forgiven. Yeah. Overall, you know, Penitentiary Man, a really fun um, film to to discover because I hadn't really heard of these these films at all. And, and, uh, like I said, it, it kind of went against my expectations of it being like a Rocky in prison type flick. And I think, it was, yeah, um, it's, it's definitely, it's strong. definitely, even back when I saw it ages ago off of a, you know, like a blockbuster video store mm-hmm. shelf, it was kind of marketed even then, obviously as, uh, you know, this action movie in prison. Um, and then when you, when you watch it, you realize that there's just, that's, you know, it, it's definitely the, the back seat of the movie. The rest of it is, is again with these characters and with these just interactions and um, it feels like it's, you know, it's crazy and ludicrous, but also, you know, it feels like, you know what, this could, could be like legit. <laughs> it, yeah. It's just a weird mix of uh, a, a believable, uh, unfortunate circumstance. Yeah, definitely. So um, we can move into talking about penitentiary two. And was there anything else you wanted to mention about penitentiary as we move into penitentiary two? Um, not specifically. When we get onto two, though, what I'm—I mean, I—I've never seen three, and uh-huh. so your your comments about canon owning. I'm, I'm hoping that they are able to work out some kind of licensing thing, which was, that that whole world always confuses me. Why certain um, rights holders wouldn't license it? I mean, um, why not get it out there and make a few bucks off of it? But whatever. Right. So hopefully they get around to doing that, so I can actually follow that through as well. Yeah, I'm excited to see three as well. I've I've only heard about it, so. Um, but yeah, Penitentiary Two. We're moving into the '80s here, 1982, and our our, our main actor is is back again. Um, I hope he doesn't find more trouble. Oh man, I don't know. He may, he may he may or may not find more trouble. I'm gonna be champion of the world. <laughs> Mothers, fathers, little kids, you have captured the imagination of America. Oh, hell! We love! Hard and fast punches, and the sweet one is now in the attack! 
Jesse is down, ladies and gentlemen. Too sweet for the kid. With a vicious right up and sent Jesse the ball papers to the tent. Leon Isaac Kennedy back as Martel Too Sweet. Gordon, I love the name, by the way. <laughs> so this, this, you know, we, we come back into this world. He's, you know, he's out of jail. He's on, he's, he's earned, his, earned his parole. And, but the way he earned his parole, uh, I guess was by like, winning. Did in, in the first penitentiary, did he earn his parole through that fight or, or we, he, I don't know if, assume- if he should have earned the parole, but he, he got out earlier because of, yeah. uh, climbing up and then winning the, right. the, the contest. Yeah. It's explained in this crazy long, like Star Wars type <laughs> scroll. In the beginning that, that, the that was film. like literally my favorite part of this movie was, was that opening crawl that just is like, you know, Star Wars. Yeah, we've seen it. Here's ours. <laughs> just goes. Cause it, 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 it is insane. I wasn't expecting that at all, expecting that at all. And when that started, I was like, "All right, well here, uh, here we go." That's just. Uh, I, th- awesome. I think it's, it's a, it's a, a lot, lot of information. That's it is a ton of information, and it's also because of the way it's presented as the Star Wars crawl, where it's not even like <laughs> you're trying to hide that it's a Star Wars crawl. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that that also sets the tone because this is a a far, even though there's a probably the darkest moment of the two mm-hmm. movies is in this mm-hmm. one here. I think that the. The film as a whole is far lighter than the first movie. Um, From my taste, it's to its detriment. But I mean, but I think that the opening Star Wars crawl, which I enjoyed, is is the tease that you know this is going to be kind of like a goofier movie. Yeah, yeah. So he he's uh, he's on parole. He all you know, of course, like most of these movies, he wants to live a peaceful life. He wants to you know start you know first mistake. Exactly. You should never expect a peaceful life if you're just coming out of prison, especially uh-huh. if you're involved in a prison boxing tournament. <laughs> so he has no interest in boxing, of course, and he wants to live with his her, his sister and her husband. He wants to start over. Uh, however, the, the husband, by the way, played by uh, Glenn Turman, who is yes. just fantastic. I, I, I love this guy. I love whenever he shows up in a movie. Yeah. He, he's so, so good. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, his his nemesis, half dead, <gasps> is out of jail. Uh not let out. I believe he escaped. He does. Um, and he's a he's a badass motherfucker. Played uh, this time by Ernie Hudson. Yep. Who does a great job because especially if you for for today's audiences, especially who know him as like you know from Ghostbusters or even from like you know, uh, you know Grace and Frankie or whatever, where he's just like you know in most of his roles where he's kind of like just a fun casual guy, whatever. Uh, he, he's a, a a very very bad man in this movie. Very bad man, and the what kind of kicks things off is probably what you were saying the darkest moment of this film when Too Sweet is in his room, his girlfriend's over, they're going to be, you know, or no, they're at a party, and uh, they're going to be possibly, you know, getting some, getting down, and uh, she, of course, is going to, uh, I guess, take a shower. I'm, I'm consistently surprised that that you've had sex, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> this is all this is all a uh this is all cover i'm actually pretty smooth <laughs> so, sorry go on go so, on <laughs> so uh so yeah his uh his girlfriend's gonna i guess freshen up and uh and he's just waiting for her and uh uh half dead sneaks in to the bathroom and uh we, we get a very dark and very bleak scene when he proceeds to uh, rape and um, murder two sweets 
Yeah, it's, 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 it's a brutal scene. And the fact, I think for me, that what drives it home more so, even more so, is the fact that it, they are just separated by that thin door. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Too Sweet is just the outside, not knowing what's happening. And and because of like the, the shower, I think the shower or the sink, something, something is going, so we can't hear anything. Yeah, the in shower's there. on. Yeah. Um, so it, it's uh, it's it's the brutality of the scene itself, which is again, I, I think it's, it's it's brutally done. But then also when they would, they, you know, the, the film keeps cutting over to Too Sweet, just kind of sitting there, you know, excited and waiting for her to come out and you know happy, and and it's just just that thin door that's separating him from this the nightmare that's happening to her. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, 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 I was kind of, uh, shocked when, that it got that real in, in the film. Cause you know, with the opening crawl and everything, you're, you're expecting, all right, here right. we go more kind of campy boxing, but that scene kind of moves the plot forward and, uh, too sweet gets back in, in to boxing. He wants to train and is now I'm fuzzy on why he wanted to, was there a tournament there wasn't like half dead, like he's not going to be joining any tournament, but we'll, I, I can't remember why he wanted to go back to boxing. Well, I think he's got, he's got ends up with no choice. He's kind of like, right. um, just, just kind of flattened and devastated. And, uh, this will give him a chance to, you know, just, just bust loose with, with the violence. Mm-hmm. Um, because and you don't like, it's a weird thing too, because without, I mean, I guess I shouldn't worry about spoiling a, a, 30 year old movie or how old it is. Um, yeah, we can roll a little bit carefully, I guess though. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, it's not like a simple straightforward revenge tale. I mean, he, yeah. he doesn't go through this and then go after half dead, which is what you expect because of what, you know, this, this heinous act that half dead is, has committed. Um, instead, you know, two sweet goes off on his own, uh, you know, path, path of renewed violence um, with half dead still kind of like, you know, weaving his way through there, but the two yeah. of them, don't end up having you know a face off right, right. And, which you would expect right and i was kind of expecting that to happen so so too sweet joins the gym and who's there as the trainer mr t playing himself <laughs> but he's like which, which is how you know he's playing a good guy and not like the <laughs> bad guy like in rocky three or something like right, right yeah which is really funny but he's he's, he's pretty subdued he's uh, in, in trainer mode here and uh i, I actually liked seeing mr t kind of in more of a subdued role yeah he was very he's, he's very casual in it and i mean he's he does a, he does a good job where it, it wouldn't be surprised if this was like his i mean now he's playing his own you know playing a character of his own name himself basically mm-hmm. but i wouldn't be surprised if this is basically just him because right. he he's he's very serious and focused when he's on you know either the you know a, a boxing scene or, or like a um a sparring scene or where he's imparting a lesson like he yeah. used to do on his old cartoon. Um, <laughs> so those moments, he's, he's, he's very serious. But then, like, you know, in the tournament dime, he can, like, flick and, like, be, like, a, a, bit, a bit more playful and casual. Yeah. Um, I imagine that that's exactly what he was, you know, and he just walked on set and played himself, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, no. It was uh, easy, easy money for Mr. T, for sure. <laughs> uh, but this was still low budget, so we're not talking, like, huge amounts of dollars, but, you know. Um, so now where the movie kind of gets a little more playful, just like with the first movie is when these boxing scenes happen because they're taking place in these prisons. Now in the first one, there was kind of this, the women prison with the guy with the men's prison. They kind of had something going where they can sneak away and, uh, you know, have, you know, uh, have sex or, or fool around. That's or what I, yeah. So I was mentioning earlier where like in the middle of this, you know, the important fight scene, the film keeps cutting away to this, you know, just 
you know, uh, indifferent, you know, no name character prisoner, basically who, who's like sneaking away to have sex. Um, and it's, so it's like, it's like, it's intercutting the, what should have been the point of the movie, um, <laughs> with these like two, like, you know, again, strangers <laughs> having sex in a bathroom. Um, so it was, it was odd, but it was, again, you feel like it's part of this, these characters. Yeah. So that's back again here. And this time the main, like the, the main subplot is, uh, this little person um, in me. Tony Cox from Bad Santa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Tony Cox. Uh, they're playing, uh, what are they playing? Uh, jacks or dice or whatever. He's trying to earn some money so he can basically pay for some sex. And he's, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of just hoping it's going to happen for the guy. And, and what's weird too, and um, I, I like like between the two, I, I prefer the first movie um, <laughs> be, be, for, for various reasons. But, but this uh-huh. one, one of the things where I think it, it kind of, uh, uh, falls backwards is in these scenes because whereas in the first movie you feel like it's just like okay yeah we gotta throw in this again you know we, we need some sex scenes we need mm-hmm. some tna all this kind of stuff and it feels like it's to bolster the idea that the movie is you know if it fits into the whole black exploitation genre right here here it's you have the same kind of thread going with with, with uh, tony cox's character but you don't it doesn't ever ever actually become like a TNA situation, you know. It, it just right. played for laughs, um, and it's stretched out for laughs <laughs> throughout, throughout the uh I think two different fights that go on in yeah. the movie. Um but it's it's the movie is aside from that early uh uh rape scene, which is you know, again, brutal and just over the top, and that's that's the exploitation um, mm-hmm. aspect of the film. The rest of it doesn't feel as um interested in getting into that kind of stuff. It feels more like it was, uh, especially with the inclusion of Mr. T, it feels more mm-hmm. like it's kind of aimed at, you know, the kind of like having some, you know, moral, moral ideas or moral lessons, um, and less interested in kind of, uh, you know, pushing the buttons of, of the subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. Now this, this was, uh, this was fun to watch. I, I, I agree. Like, uh, the first one, uh, is a lot more affecting, I think for me, as far as a straightforward film and you're kind of, uh, really rooting for this character. This one, you still are like, I think that, uh, that Leon Isaac Kennedy is fantastic in this role. He's very earnest and, and uh, you really are rooting for him in his character. But, uh, but yeah, this one's, this was, was, was a fun follow up. And then, and now that I've seen this, I'm really jonesing to watch uh, the third one. So that's, that's what I'm curious about too, because I do feel like even though this one drops it as far as uh, um, I think, again, the exploitative elements or the, the character elements, I think the, the fight scenes here, I think they, they devoted more time and energy to prepping the fight scenes. So mm-hmm. I think it's visible in the actual action in the ring, especially um, where it feels like, you know, they spent time choreographing it and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I'd be curious where a third film would go tone wise and action wise. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it does make it I get mean, a release at some point. This one does penitentiary two does have one of the most insane fight scenes. I think I've seen in a film with Ernie Hudson wearing a clown wig. And uh, <laughs> I believe it's in the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> with, with Mr. T, isn't it? No, no, it's with uh, it's with Too Sweet. So they um, literally I, fight. Though I thought he doesn't he just like drug him? I think so. Him I, I guess it's it's not they kind of wrestle around sort of thing. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we do have the Ernie, Ernie Hudson versus Mr. T scene as well in in the locker room, and uh, you know, um, it's like I I did. I mean, I kind of wish it was Too Sweet versus. You know, that's, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think that I mean, like a traditional, more... yeah, like a traditional exploitative film is is, is you're going to have this idea of revenge and and this dude. I mean, for what 
for what this half dead character does. I mean, you want his ass yeah. to be kicked. Yeah. Um, and so it, but the fact that it ends up not being, you know, our, our main character doing it, but instead we, we get Mr. T fighting. And that's, again, I think plays into what I was saying about the, um, cause it, it's Mr. T being this, you know, again, just the, the nice guy, you know, who, who's, you know, who you know, has values and morals, is the one who's you know combating the absolute you know horrific sleaze of yeah. uh, of Ernie Hudson, <laughs> and so it's uh, it feels like that's kind of again part and parcel of what the movie is is doing more so with you know the the light the lighter nature of it as opposed to the pure you know exploitative uh, thrills of revenge. Yeah, well these these two flicks are are very fun. They're stacked with with features and uh like i said these come from because uh, vinegar syndrome has licensed a lot of xenon pictures so this is definitely uh this is why we're getting them here um you know i i, I forgot to ask brandon what the status was for uh sweet sweet back's bad ass song um and uh but that's should be coming from them i, I would imagine they're kind of deep in uh preparations for it because they they probably want that to be a a big deal, of course. Right. So yeah, um, these Xenon pictures are just a lot of fun to kind of dive into. I'm a huge fan of black exploitation and, um, and exploitation. And uh, I think these two are, are great, uh, set to get because I hadn't seen these and it's a different take on kind of the standard black exploitation type flick. So I would definitely recommend, uh, people give these a shot. Same. Let's move into some sexploitation, shall we? Oh, always. Uh, <laughs> I know you're always up for that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the release of Fugitive Girls, otherwise known as Five Loose Women. Fugitive girls caught in a web of desire, betrayed by her lover, pimp killer, dope smuggler, bank embezzler, lesbian, leader of the pack. Now this is a women in prison or a type flick. Women escape from prison. Briefly in prison, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it kind of has those same tropes a little bit with, uh, you know, a woman who really shouldn't be there uh, ending, up in, ending up in prison and uh, kind of, you know, these tough and... Uh, lesbians. Hardened. You can say lesbian, Sean. <laughs> lesbians. Well, one for sure is, I don't know if the other ones just kind of go along with it. Cause she's kind of the, you know, the dominant <laughs> I don't know. good Christ, a lesbian <laughs> favorite line of the movie. Oh man. Where, where to start with, uh, with this thing. I, I had some fun watching it. Um, I kind of lost interest here and there, but, uh, this thing is, a. Uh, it, it, it surprised me. Um, I love it <laughs> quite a bit. What do you love about uh, about Fugitive Girls? I, uh, I I'm developing a uh, a sweet tooth for films not directed by, but ones written by Ed Wood. Mm. Um, I, I, his his directorial efforts not so much, but the ones right. where he just is the writer and someone else is handling you know crafting it into into the visuals and all that. I I'm I'm just in, in love with the. Uh, with the dialogue and what he does with these characters, the scenarios, the situations. Um, and this, this one here, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, the violent years, which speaking of AGFA earlier, they put out, uh, that one on Blu-ray, which is a great one. And while we're just picking up as well, um, as, as far as having these, like this badass girls, 
out in the world. I mean, it, it does it does you know get into the prison part like you mentioned earlier after she is mistakenly charged with you know being associated with with her boyfriend's act of violence, whatever it is, and that's where she's inducted into this uh this this uh, hardcore lesbian's uh, power grip. Um, but then yeah, then once it gets outside though, it reminds me of the violent years because you have these these women who are just you know on a rampage. Uh, I mean, they run into you know various things that should be trouble. There's a great mm-hmm. scene where they, they come across some, uh, um, some some bad looking you know bikers and you know stuff like that. And you think, okay, you know where where this is going to go. These ladies are in for trouble, but nope, <laughs> they just they just kick ass. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's just a fun romp. I mean, there are serious bits, but there are serious ones that come with like a heavy heavy dollop of uh, of exploitation. It's like when they take over the they do the home invasion. Yeah. On the, the couple and the guys oh in, a, in, a, in, a, in a wheelchair, um, uh, man, it's just like it's it's offensive but hilarious, <laughs> but, um, just again over the top. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm just a huge fan. This thing doesn't let up either. Like with the exploitation, sexploitation stuff too. I was kind of I was surprised at the level because I was expecting some, you know, just R-rated flick. But there's there's you know towing the line yeah it gets plenty dirty of uh you know just just outside of penetration (laughs) type stuff oh yeah Uh, yeah yeah they're 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 showing the uh the the bits and um, you just you just don't go to go inside right right and you know especially the first scene when she's when she's in jail the for her first night and um the uh the the main i guess the main lesbian uh decides that she's gonna you know uh have some fun indoctrinate her yeah it's uh it's just it, it i didn't really know how to react to it because it was it was it was disturbing uh in in a sense and then it just very weird and i wasn't expecting it at all and uh and so i was like all right well that's where this film's going and then later on when they basically rape a guy Right, <laughs> I mean, gang up on the right. guy, which, which again is to me is another reminder of, of the violent years, where the, uh-huh. the, the girls are the ones that they just basically turn the tables and the, and they're the ones in control. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think it's it's I mean you you don't see that obviously, and and especially if you for people who watch um, exploitation films, like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it, it's women who are just being you know brutalized, abused, taken advantage of this, that, everything else else and so i i will always welcome the opportunity to see a movie especially one with dialogue like this um where, where the women are the ones that are just getting out there and saying you know you know fuck everyone we're gonna we're in charge yeah. and, and so it's it's a lot of fun yeah and they they even you know, though you know it turns obviously violent and <laughs> and death deadly and everything else but yeah. it's still fun it's still a fun yeah watch. they're they're flawed characters uh <laughs> we're not supposed to like be cheering them on of course um and another part that of this movie that I absolutely loved was when they came across the hippies. And of course, yep. uh, in the seventies, it, it was, you know, the free love is reigning. And, uh, you know, one of the first moments they all, uh, just all just decided all to take off their shirts and, you know, there's just, uh, plenty of, uh, plenty of fucking, uh, in the dirt, uh, <laughs> out there outside of vans and campfires and, and everything. It's just, this is a wild flick. I mean, what else is there to do outside? There really isn't very much else to do. I mean, right, if you're out right. and you know, but uh, yeah, this thing's a lot of fun and uh, surprising. If you haven't seen too many of these films, um, I was like I said, I was expecting this kind of just women in prison film, and it kind of turns it on its head, and um, and it's just really was really fun to to uh, 
to check out. And then when I found out that Ed Wood had a, you know, a hand in the, in the screenplay, I was like, wow, that's, you know, it's very interesting that, uh, that his almost screenplays were, you know, like you said, better than his directing efforts and, you know, just add this to your, uh, yeah, I, I just think I mean he's out. he's an interesting, obviously you know well documented, fascinating filmmaker. Yeah. But for me, as, as far as my actual enjoyment of the movies, um, I will always defer to the ones where he he just you know just served as the uh, the writer and maybe showed up as a cameo of some kind, but yeah, um, and leave the directing to somebody else. Yeah, I mean he he was credited for writing Orgy of the Dead. And I did not enjoy that film as a no, film. That was not good. Um, <laughs> There's the that, exception to my rule. Yeah, well, that's more of a party movie. You just kind of put on and. You know, uh, if I, if I ran like a really cool hit bar, like that thing would be on every now and then as people are drinking hands down, no question. All right. So that's fugitive girls. Uh, um, I will say it before. I don't know if you're going to talk to it, but, um, one of the extras on this disc is a a commentary track with, uh, Oh uh, yeah. With Frank. Yep. Yep. It's got a a biographer an Edward biographer on there who who offers like a lot of good, interesting tidbits on, on wood. But um, but Frank and Henlotter is, if, if anytime he's talking, you want to listen because one, he's the dude is super freaking knowledgeable, but two, he's hilarious, and so he's he's uh, I put him in the same category as like a John Waters as far as when it comes to cat- uh, commentaries, um, they should just be automatic listens after you watch the movie because his right. whether it's his own movie or not is um his like his one for Frankenhooker is also great, his own movie, oh, but cool. um, yeah. here I mean he just the guy just knows his shit and is is a very funny guy. Very nice. I I almost need to somehow get these commentaries onto like my iPhone or something and listen to them at work. Right. <laughs> I never have time to listen to these like at home just because you know the the kids running around and everything. And if I'm if I'm home and I'm gonna pay attention to a to the the TV, I'm I'm watching a movie I haven't seen. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this right. one I also have a. Um, uh, so there's not like a whole lot of extras on this. This isn't, isn't as stacked as the other ones, but there is an audio interview with, uh, with Tally Cochran, um, that, uh, would be, would be fun to check out as well. So, yeah, I, I gave part of that listen and it's, I mean, it's, she's obviously working, you know, uh, knowledgeable and talking about, about the productions like that. Yeah. But if you, if you can only listen to one of those tracks, so you want to go with the, the handle oh, one. Yeah. I agree. Let's move on to the two. We're, now we're going to cover, we're getting into batshit territory and I'm all here for it. Um, next up, let's talk about 1977's Prey. What we have is real, Jessica. We must never lose it. Do other people live here? Only the two of us. Will other people come to live here? What a funny question. Knowing it's no good to cry Except the arms of a stranger Prey, uh, this is 1977 British independent uh, sci-fi-ish f- horror movie. It's, it's, um, it's definitely got the sci-fi bent, but because <laughs> I, I feel it's kind of minor to the movie yeah. as a whole, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely more... Um, Horror and uh, domestic drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so Barry Stokes plays a an alien who has landed on Earth. Uh, he is carnivorous and uh, looking for some protein. Uh, he's not a vegan. Uh, however, he does run into a couple of lesbian vegans. Uh, <laughs> people like Glory Annan and Sally Faulkner. 
And there's some tension between these two women. And uh, you kind of notice right away that uh, one of the women, um, I believe it's Sally Faulkner, she's kind of the more... Uh, in in charge, I guess she's very. She knows what she wants. She's kind of, um, <clears throat> uh, I don't know. Like there, there's there's something going on with her, and she's very um, uh, not not intimidating, but but her and her and uh, so just Josephine played by Sally Faulkner and Jessica played by Glory Annan. There's there's some like I said tension in the relationship. And, um, they are obviously at first I was like, Oh, are they friends? Are they sisters? And then you realize, no. And then you're like, sacre bleu, lesbians. (laughs) They're lovers. And, uh, so then they, so we're kind of wrapped into kind of their like domestic drama. They're living in this large, uh, large house and on, on this property in, in, uh, just get to the sex, Sean. Okay. The sex is great. Uh, this is another one where they—I was kind of surprised. They're not—they're—they're they're going some places, and I was like, "Wow, it's uh, getting a little steamy in in here." My kids better not walk in right now. You gotta uh, start investing in some locks for your doors. Mm-hmm. I do, but then what does happen? Like they'll just start pounding on it, and then dad, dad, dad. dad well, then you bust out the duct tape and you tie their hand, hands to their legs. <laughs> so this couple. Um, stumbles across our alien friend here and they befriend him because he seems lost. And, uh, so they're, (laughs) the main thing about them is they're vegan. Uh, are they vegan or vegetarian? Is it, uh, is it explained? I'm not sure if it's specified. I know that they don't, I don't think they ate any dairy products in the, in the course of the movie, but I don't think, I don't know if they specified. Okay. So we have this kind of fish out of water, uh, humor i guess with them trying to feed him you know their stuff and you know that this guy is you know he wants meat but they're trying to feed him you know their tea and then vegetables and everything and he is not having it yeah he's like a vampire in that he can only he can only stomach the one thing he needs and everything else is like makes him vomit (laughs) so uh so man, where do where do you want to where do you want to where do we go it's, with this it's, thing? It's, it's, I had never heard of this movie, which is again one of the many 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 things I love about Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> I had never heard of this film uh, before before they announced it, um, and so it's it's a fascinating little movie because the the first it's a short movie too. It's like under mm-hmm. eighty minutes, but the first fifteen minutes and like the last fifteen minutes are you know just terrific uh, horror. Um, you know, there, there's bloody bits because he he is yeah. this you know uh, carnivorous. Uh, humanoid creature from outer space um and so you see the results of that um and then in the middle though you have this um again this domestic drama uh, between these two women who are together but are obviously having their own issues which is why the younger one is so welcoming to this visitor it happens to be a man but it's you know i think she's happy to have anybody there but it's it, the, the fact that it's a man is an extra level of of uh, of interest for her um and so, but then of course that makes the older one, you know, jealous and uncomfortable. And so you have that dynamic um, of these, these, it becomes kind of like a, um, uh, I don't know, like, like I said, it's just the contrast of like, you know, the younger woman is obviously with the older woman, but she's also drawn towards the man. And so this yeah. it becomes like an odd little love triangle that you know, kind of, well, kind because of. the, the, the lesbian relationship is, is almost like 
almost like an abusive relationship in a sense, not necessarily physically, but meant like mentally the way she's current. Uh, I think it was Joseph, was it I say Josephine? Uh, she, yeah. The Josephine older one is, is domineering. Control, yeah. And then also uh, jealous of this, of this intrusion. Yes, but I think, the, but that's also where, and it was kind of odd for me anyways, because again, if it, it just feels like it shifts gears into this, this drama about these characters who are like having you know relationship troubles. And then here comes this, uh, um, you know, cannibalistic, uh, <laughs> creature. Um, but the, even even that domestic drama part though then takes a little bit of a turn when they start mentioning um, like a past you know person who had been there a past yeah, guest at the Stan- house Stanley yeah and um and so it takes a it adds another kind of little twist another little layer to their relationship but also to the the path of the story and so mm-hmm. the, what you start with is like this killer creature and these two you know um, essentially innocent you know women. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously having their own issues, but they're still like, you know, potential victims. And the movie just does something I think interesting with, with that dynamic. Yeah. You know, definitely this is one that I want, I do not want to give too much away for sure because it was such a, a, a fun film to, to discover. And I don't think it was really all that available, you know, before being released here. But, uh, but yeah, I mean the, the, that middle part I was, I kind of had to ease into it because I, I, because I was expecting this kind of campy, you know, hor- you know, alien horror movie, basically, you know, uh-huh. but um, but when it, yeah, when it takes in this domestic, more of a domestic drama, I had to kind of just, you know, sit back and relax and kind of watch everything unfold. And when it does, I think your patience is rewarded with where things go in the end of the film, and and uh, it definitely. Uh, definitely give this thing it like if you feel like you're waning in the middle of the film like I guarantee it guarantee you just stick with it because I yeah, really it's think short, it really it's short enough too that I don't yeah, think yeah, you're yeah, gonna yeah. get bored with it no. I mean you might be temporarily kind of confused as far as like the the, the tonal shift and what's <laughs> happening but it's short enough like I said that if you, if you do stick with it and that middle part it does have I mean it, it keeps you if you're into these kind of things it keeps you entertained with with some uh, some skin shenanigans um, <clears throat> but then also yeah if you kind of listen to the you know the exchanges back and forth there are little hints kind of dropped as far as again this this relationship and then the turn it takes and then the film's end itself is very uh, um, Twilight Zone-ish. I think yeah. it feels like it would. It, it, the the end, the, the coda there. It feels like it's the kind of thing that could be like in the last like minute of like a, a Rod Sterling Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is this is a lot of fun to check out. So uh, this this as well. The the special features on here. Um, uh, a commentary track with the director Norman Warren, and then uh, Sally Faulkner appears as well uh, in the commentary track, and then there's uh, some interviews with uh, the director and uh, Sally Faulkner, and um, and I believe the producer Terry Marcel. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of fun and un- unexpected. Just like most, like I kind of expect this mo- with Vinegar Syndrome a lot because I know that I'm I'm I know that every time I get a a film from them with the exception of things that I've seen before, or heard of before, like uh, hobgoblins or, or, uh, ice cream man. I know that I'm going to get something, uh, something special and something I haven't seen and something that's a little bit like different than most other things that these other, uh, labels are releasing. And I, I, there's always something special about these. So d- definitely a lot of fun. And I always know that they're not kind of what they seem they will be. So, which brings us to, Holy shit, Lucifer's women. He made them become his slaves, to worship his unholy deeds, to love the devil. (laughs) 
Lucifer's Women. Suppose that there was a man who could make you do whatever he wanted you to. I want a life. We need a pure soul. She'll do. itself is so strong that it defies the bounds of petty logic and mere causality. Now this is also known as or edited into Dr. Dracula. And uh, directed by Not to Paul. be confused with Dr. Acula. Yes. Uh, directed by Paul Arato who also directed China Girl. Um, this is about a magician who uh, also maybe dabbles into the occult. Like most magicians. Most of them do, for sure. Um, and he uh, he performs in like this burlesque club, and he's basically uh, befriends one of the burlesque dancers, and uh, he may have other uses uh, for her as he starts to kind of woo her. Um, man, this thing is crazy. I haven't seen Doctor Dracula. Have you seen both cuts? I, 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 didn't, I, didn't watch, I haven't watched that cut of it yet. No. Okay, because apparently it got it was it was too much. Like there was too much, uh, sexy time going on in this film and they couldn't get, I guess, distribution with all in there. They cut it down to, I guess, into, into Dr. Dracula. And that's what got the actual release. So this cut, well, they, they been, added, they added footage too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. added footage, um, which, yeah, they, which well, they, kind of made it lighter. Yeah. Yeah. They worked it into kind of a completely different feel. Um, so all, all these, these last three movies, Fugitive Girls, Prey, and Lucifer's Women, have a lot of, you know, for me, it was like a lot of unexpected, uh, unexpected uh, sexy time. And I, I have uh, to ask, Sean, as someone who has watched Vinegar Syndrome releases before, why sex scenes are unexpected in Vinegar Syndrome releases? Yeah, yeah it shouldn't be a surprise. It really... These are the movies that um, I, I tweeted about it last month or some, at some point, but um, these are the movies that when I watch, even during the day... I found myself having to keep a hand ready for the uh, remote control <laughs> to turn the volume down right. because out of the blue, uh, you know, there could be like some slasher or whatever. Maybe right. out of the blue, it'll just shift and all of a sudden there's just loud moans and yeah. <laughs> screams going on. Yeah. And so I've got to turn it down so my neighbors don't suspect things. <laughs> I, I shouldn't be surprised. And, uh, you know, what it is, whatever. But uh, this thing, man, I I think it has one of the best uh like black mass scenes i think i've ever seen committed to film uh how do you rate that scene compared to other satanic films that you've seen in the past it feels like it's more i mean it's one of the ones i think anton levey <laughs> oversaw and he, yes. but he did a few of these he did a few of these uh he farmed himself out to uh, a few movie productions um it feels less uh it feels like a good mix of theatrical but also um i don't want to use the word authentic obviously because you know it's it's all essentially gibberish but I mean, as, far, as far as it yeah. feels like it's the kind of thing that people the people doing these kind of things would do um but then also a little bit of theatricality um so it, it, i think it, it works well and it does break up 
um, and offer like a nice contrast to the goofiness, um, the mellow goofiness of mm-hmm. our, our main character, this magician, yeah, because he- his, his magic is kind of like, you know, like, okay, magic, magic. Um, and then to toss, which is again, not, you know, uh, it's its own little thing. It's more show, more more for show, more for entertainment. And then to shift to this other kind of again theatricality with the, you know the devil worshippers, I think it's a good contrast. Well, he's kind of a goofy guy as well. He's this lanky guy. He has this really crazy you know goatee, and he's always has he's always like trying to give like these intense stares. And uh, that's broken up a little bit. Like when there's a scene where where he is actually uh, he's had a little bit too much champagne. And he's like kind of wobbly, you know. He's doing the George Clooney head wobble a little bit. It's um, it's uh, Larry Hankin is the guy yeah. playing him, and he's like a. Even if you don't recognize the name, I mean, listeners, I mean, you, you recognize his face. I mean, he's a, he's a, a big time character actor, um, and this is my only experience of finding him or seeing him in a uh, what amounts to a lead role. So I think I think it's I always love when like characters or actors are given that kind of opportunity. Um, but so he he is kind of a you know, kind of an oddball, um, both because of his physical features, but also just the way his action style. And so in the presence of this, you know, slowly developing plot, um, I think it works really well because he does provide his personality, his persona, what you get off of him doesn't feel like you're going to, where the movie ends up going with, with the sex and with the violence and with the, uh, the, the devil aspect of it. So and I'm so curious to see the difference between these two cuts, because I think John Carradine is in Dr. Dracula. He's not, in this which makes uh, sense because john carradine is is not um i mean it may make sense that he would show up as, as kind of like a, a a you know a grim character but like in a more with a more comical tone you yeah. know what i mean that that's that's where he fits whenever i see him now i think of his um uh the woody allen movie everything you want to know about sex but we're afraid to ask because he plays <laughs> kind of a mad a mad scientist in that and that's whenever i see him in any film now that's how i see him is you know, spooky and like, you know, creepy, but then also just, you know, a, a, a loopy dude who's got some like weird ideas. And so I, I would imagine that that's how he's going to appear in this other cut. I'm trying to find the the actress's name, but, um, but she is kind of partial. Are you to talking about little, the Trilby character? I think the, so. Jane Grinnell Cohen? Yes. Yeah. Cause she's, she's partial to these little sex comics. And then her roommate is kind of this, uh, sexually frustrated, uh, woman as well. And, um, there's a little like kind of love triangle in this film as well with, um, these two women and then, you know, with our, with our magician and everything. And, uh, but no, I, I had a lot of fun with, uh, with, with this flick and, um, it's bad shit as, 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 as I could expect for sure. It's it's interesting because it's I mean to your earlier point too it's it's a movie that you you think like you can sum it up kind of or if you read like a like a one or two line you know summation of the film it's like okay a magician right. you know is involved with a uh, eternal life you know and, and, and sacrifices blah blah, blah. Um, but because of its tone and because of uh, for me a large part of because of, of Hankin in that lead role mm-hmm. um, it kind of is a little bit more of a human element to it um, and then all these other you know the the sex and the nudity and you know and the, the the satanic elements are, are kind of layered on top of that but i think that his presence uh, again for me i think his presence in that lead role it starts you off on a um not necessarily relatable because he can relate to magicians but um <laughs> uh, again a kind of a human just sort of familiar foot um and so i think that that helps where it ends up going it helps you helps it be more effective yeah well he's also kind of like not really doing this 
all on his own. Like he's kind of being coerced a little bit or forced to find this woman for this ritual. Like you, you kind of see that too, where he, cause as he's striking up this relationship, um, you can tell he's a little bit, you know, apprehensive to going through with everything. You can tell that he's, I don't know. I, I thought that was a very interesting point because you, he could just be this evil villain, but you kind of do, uh, feel for him a little bit on what he's, you know, what he's going through as well. It's, yeah. His yeah. relationship with the, the dude, uh, um, the, the guy who comes into his life and kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, um, drags him along in this and then uses him basically for, for the same purpose for this uh, eternal life and for this, the devil worshiping. Mm-hmm. I love it. Their relationship is kind of like a bad influence thing that they with Rob Lowe and uh, James Spader. Where <laughs> you have a guy who just is a normal, he's getting by. And then this, you know, this bad influence shows up and just kind of starts shifting him slowly, you know, pushing him a little bit further and further and further, mm-hmm. um, towards, uh, bad, bad things. Um, I, I loved the, the sawing the woman in half scene. Because <laughs> halfway through, you're like, holy shit, this isn't going to end well. Like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, it actually, for the one, for a fleeting moment in the film, I actually felt a little tense. Because, you know, most of these films are kind of goofier or whatever, even if they're trying to be serious. But that scene itself, like, I thought was pretty great. And if I would have seen this as a, as a young kid or something, that probably, that scene especially probably would have uh, had a, an effect on me. But I thought that was really fantastic. Yeah, I think that that, that that kind of goes to the film's ability to again it plays with tones well and kind of sets you at ease, but then will um, kind of reveal again these these darker elements plot wise, but also because of those elements showing up, you then what would have been like a simple you know magic trick becomes a bit more ominous. This one uh, has a commentary track with uh, the produ- the producer of Doctor Dracula, and it also comes with the. Uh, the DVD has uh, the actual film of Dr. Dracula on this. So I'm, I'm very excited to kind of compare these two. I didn't have time to compare them to before we, before a conversation today, but it's definitely the more I read about it, the more I'm like, wow, you know, I thought that Dr. Dracula was just this. They just took out, you know, some of the, uh, the more X rated X ish rated elements, but they actually re reworked it into a completely different film. And uh, so I'm in- interested in, in checking that one, that one out. And it was the one, the, the rework Dr. Dracula one is the one that actually got the, the release. Yeah. From, from my understanding, that's the one yeah. that actually got out there and got play. Yeah. And then people saw, whereas the Lucifer's women cut was pretty much buried. Yeah. And until, uh, until vinegar syndrome came along. Praise be to the dark vinegar syndrome gods or something. <laughs> All right. Um, Anyway, pretty good little batch of flicks this time around, and uh, you know had a lot of fun discovering these. Like I said, BJ will be joining us to talk about the porno. All right, Rob. Uh, I guess Brad didn't join us, so uh, I want to thank you. For, All right, uh, pants going back on. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint. Uh, thanks for coming on, man, and talking to these with me, talking about these with me, and I'm sure we'll have you on again uh, for some more stuff for sure. Yeah. Of course, I'm always happy to be here. Thank you very much for having me on. What are we talking about? Porn. Oh, yeah. That's it. Let's do it. Come on. Pull that hair. Get a thumb in there. Get a thumb in there. Get a thumb in there. I'm there. I'm there. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Finish. Hello, Screamcast listeners. This is one of your co-hosts, BJ Colangelo, and let me first just say I am so sorry that I wasn't able to be a part of the normal show with 
everyone else. I, uh, I've been under the weather and dealing with a whole lot of other nonsense as per usual. What else is new? But luckily for you, I am here to talk about my favorite sort of film that we cover on the Screamcast adult entertainment, erotica, pornography, whatever you want to call it. And as always, the wonderful people at Vinegar Syndrome have provided us with a slew of tantalizing and titillating titles for us to talk about. Um, I have five of them to talk about today. And um, again, these are all from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, They're great people. So in addition to the wonderful genre titles that they restore, they also do provide a healthy dose of adult entertainment. Um, So if you're not into the pornography or the adult entertainment side of this podcast, uh, I guess tune out now, join us back when we're talking about horror movies or whatever else tickles your fancy. Uh, But for the rest of you smut peddlers out there, this one's for you. So the first one that I want to talk about is the uh, combo release of Velvet High uh, and Summertime Blue. So uh, what both of these titles have in common is that these are from John Christopher. John Christopher was pretty prolific. Um, He did a lot of films in a short period of time. And these are two that I think kind of get forgotten about. And I can say that wholeheartedly because I had never heard of them until we got these. Um... Velvet High is about, you know, a schoolgirl named Velvet, because why else? What else would her name be? Um, played by Misty Regan. And it's uh, it's pretty paint-by-numbers as far as the kind of schoolgirl fantasy. It's, you know, discovering her first erotic experiences and discovering the kinks and things that she likes. Um, this also has a very early performance from Jerry Butler. Um, it's fine, um, there's nothing super exciting about it. Um, if you're into the schoolgirl thing, if that's sort of your 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 fix, then you know this is a great one to add to that canon. But um, really, it wasn't anything that kind of blew me away. I think for me, after a while, the whole schoolgirl angle kind of gets lost on me because I've seen it done so many times and it's kind of hard to fuck it up. So there's nothing inherently wrong with it, um, but there's nothing really all that new to the table. Um, In addition to that, there's also Summertime Blue, which again, you know, this is very kind of paint by numbers as it's focusing on, you know, two friends on the last day of summer vacation before having to go to school the next day. And they decide what better way to spend the last day of summer than to just fuck each other's brains out and explore all of their sexual desires. And I mean, it's fine. (laughs) It's again, it's kind of what you're what you're going to get for if you're looking for sort of the youth gone wild discovery of of self. Um, If that's your thing, then these are two that I think you'll really enjoy. Um, These are 2K restorations um, from 16 millimeter um, film. So it looks nice. Um, I do think that they've had better restorations before, but nothing about this looks bad. Um, there is also an audio interview on Velvet High with Misty Regan. Um, I did not watch it, but um, I'm sure that I will at some point because I always find 
the most fascinating thing is to talk to porn stars long after they've been part of something. Um, because there's always a, a lot of different schools of thought on how people feel about it. Um, if you ever get the chance to watch the documentary After Porn Ends, it's always really funny because a lot of the newer girls are like, oh, it was the most traumatic thing I ever did. I regret it. And then you have like, you know, a vintage classic like Seika who's like, yeah, it's a thing I did and it was great and now I don't do it anymore. Move on. Uh, so I'm curious to see how Misty stands by it. Okay, so the next title that I want to talk about is Young Girls 2. Um, Young Girls 2 is a, I guess, autobiographical tale of Erica Boyer. Um, Erica Boyer was a huge name um, in the 80s in erotic and adult cinema. Um, and this is really interesting. It's uh, directed by Bob Vossi, and it is a... I get, I'm not sure how much of this is accurate and how much of this has obviously been played up because it's an adult movie. Um, but it's a biographical look at Erica Boyer and how she kind of came to be. Um, you know, her, her little humble beginnings as being, you know, this prude younger girl and then, um, kind of moving forward towards, you know, the, the sexual awakening she had in her college years until she finally completely owned her sexuality and became a full fledged sex starlet. This is one of the more ambitious titles I think Vinegar Syndrome's ever gotten their hands on, um, because it's so different because it's a biopic, um, um, you know, it, it makes it a little bit more exciting because this is somebody's real life. Um, I think a lot of the fascination that people have today with sort of the amateur and camming industry is that sense of realness, that these are real people, that it's not manufactured, it's not fabricated. And while this is very, you know, kind of skinamaxy at times, I think it's really interesting that, you know, it has Erica Boyer in it herself and you can kind of play with the idea of, well, what part of this has been, you know, exaggerated for the purpose of filming and how much of this is real. Um, so if you're looking for something really different, um, this is one that I do recommend. And it is pretty hot at times. It has some really good scenes in it. So uh, I would suggest checking that out. Um, it's a 2K restoration from the 35 millimeter original camera negative. So it looks fucking great. Um, it looks really, really, really nice. So this one, I I think of, of those three titles, Young Girls Do is definitely the one that I would recommend the most. Um, the next title that I would like to talk about is Nightcaller. Uh, Nightcaller is Anthony Spinelli. Um, it's an adult thriller, which is definitely something that I'm into. Um, it's, it's, it's got everything that you could want out of kind of that mid seventies, sleazy grindhousey adult film. Like this is definitely something that I probably would have wanted to check out in like a 42nd street theater. It's got that sort of feel to it. So I know a lot of people out there who listen to the show are big fans of kind of the, the grimy, gritty, filthy sort of adult titles that Vinegar Syndrome puts out. And this is, this is definitely one of them. Um, what I do find most interesting is that because this is an adult thriller, um, a lot of times these films are able to play on their own if you were to take out any of the sex in it. And I think Nightcaller is one of those as well. So if you're somebody who's not super into adult cinema because you don't really like the sex aspects of it, you're still going to get a really awesome story out of this one. Um, it's, it's a hardcore film, um, but it... I don't know. It's 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 hard to really pinpoint 
exactly who I think this audience is for, because it has kind of those gritty, gross, sleazy elements. But at the same time, you know, it can kind of stand alone um, as a film outside of the outside of the adult aspects of it. Um, Kind of like a brief synopsis. Um, It has to deal with this like kind of scrawny, like gross guy who's, you know, peeping Tom on uh, on his neighbors that are, you know, doing it. And, uh, you know, he looks up their their phone number and uh, starts calling them and starts making obscene phone calls. And that's like his thing that he's into, which I mean, looking at it from today's lens, like that's very much like harassment and that's not hot or sexy in any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I also have been trying to get better at not using kind of a woke and modern lens on things that, you know, are from a different time period. Um, it's crazy because it at moments is very, very, um, it's very sexy, but at the same time, like I feel really bad for watching it like because you're not supposed to identify with kind of like this main gross guy but because you're looking at everything through his lens and he's the one you know creeping and peeping um it, it's very voyeuristic at times so if you're into voyeurism i mean you're gonna feel right at home um for me it's it's a little upsetting but i think that's why i like this movie so much is because it does you know it it fucks with with the senses it makes you feel gross but at the same time it also turns you on a little bit so um Highly recommend Nightcaller. Um, I think it's more of a psychological thriller than it is a sex film, but it's just, just it's a psychological thriller that happens to have sex in it. Um, it looks really nice. The colors in it are really beautiful. There's like a lot of really vibrant reds in it. It's kind of giallo in that regard at times. Um, so, you know, check that one out. Um, and then the crown jewel of what Vinegar Syndrome sent to me this month is something that I had actually asked them about personally um, last year. Um, I One of my friends was gifted an old Playboy, and there was an interview in it where this woman was talking about being in a little movie called Mary Mary, and I had never heard of it. The synopsis alone just kind of blew my mind, and I immediately hit up the Vinegar Syndrome boys, and I was like, for the love of God if you don't have this in your catalog, please get it because I really, really want to listen to it and I want to, I want to watch it and I want to know everything about it. And, uh, they did disclose to me at the time. They're like, Hey, it's not been announced yet, but we do have it and it's coming out next year. So this has been my most anticipated of all of the adult films. Um, and I'm so glad that it came out this early in the year. Cause I think I would have died if I had to wait any longer. So Mary, Mary, um, is a brief synopsis. Uh, a married man suffering from erectile dysfunction sells his soul after the devil makes him an offer he can't refuse. Fuck yes, that is everything that I want. This is, it's, you know, fucking Faust. That's everything that I want. Um, the leading lady in Mary Mary is Constance Money. Um, she was only in eight films, um, but she was in the opening of Misty Beethoven, which is, you might as well be in Debbie Does Dallas or Deep Throat at that point. Like, that is, you know, pinnacle of adult entertainment. Um, everything about Mary Mary is what I love about adult film. They're, there's such a ridiculous storyline of, you know, selling your soul to the devil. Like, I just feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with like pizza delivery guy plumber storylines where it's just like, of course, of course, that's a porno. Like nobody questions that. Um, there are nine 
total sex scenes, and they are all super, super well made, very hot. Um, there is one that in particular um, is a is a dinner scene, and it incorporates food as foreplay, which is something that I'm always into because it can go one of two ways. It can either be super disgusting and revolting, um, or it can be really, really attractive. And this one, it's super attractive. Um, there's also a uh, there's a, a pretty intense orgy scene in this, but at the same time, like there's a high speed chase and there's like this ridiculous narrative of, you know, selling your soul to the devil. Um, I, I cannot recommend this one enough. I think of all the titles they've ever put out, this is easily in, in the tops for me. So if you get the chance check out Mary Mary for sure. Um, Nightcaller, I also recommend. And then, you know, the other two, kind of your standard fare. Um, they, this is not the only adult titles that they released. These are just the ones that I was able to actually watch. Um, some of the other ones that they let out are 101 Acts of Love and uh, Love Therapy. Those two I didn't get a chance to check out yet. Um, hopefully, Brad did. But um, if not, you know, I can try to bring those up for a doorstep segment uh, on a later date. But yeah, that's uh, that's it for me. And that's it for the back room. Um, I hope that you enjoy this little segment and uh, watch yourself some porn. It's good for you. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Screamcast. I want to thank all of you for listening to the show. Huge thank you to Vinegar Syndrome for making these special episodes possible. Thank you to Brandon Upson for joining me, as well as Rob Hunter for filling in for Brad Henderson. Please check out all the other shows available on the Screaming Pods Network over at ScreamingPods.com. Especially check out our sister show, Splathouse, and our illegitimate child, the SOV pod with Brad Henderson and Mike Delaney. I, Sean DeRager, also have a little side project. Once a month, you can hear me talk sci-fi movies on Xenopod from the year 5000. But please check out all the other podcasts over on the Screaming Pods Network. A lot of great variety there. I'm really excited at the, uh, the combination of shows that we've brought together. If you would like to become a member of Club Scum, head over to patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. You'll get an official membership card. You will get access to some bonus content. Right now, I have a series called Sean's Stack that I'm doing where I go through basically my to-watch pile. You can hear episode two up over there. I'm about to start a series on uh, the Indicator Blu-ray box sets including some Ray Harryhausen stuff, some Hammer stuff. So I'm pretty pumped to dive into all those. Again, check those out over at patreon.com slash scream underscore cast. Become a Club Scum official member. Also, please uh, check out our store. We have official Screamcast mugs, screamingpods.com slash store. Uh, a lot of other podcasts soon will have merchandise in that store. We're trying to test it out, check it out. But uh, Kevin Spencer, of course, designed our logo and he did a couple of varieties. We have an official uh, Screamcast mug available over there for purchase. 
I want to thank all of our sponsors. You can head over to the screamcast.com slash sponsors and check all of them out. Of course, Vinegar Syndrome, who was the subject of our show today. Uh, if you dig coffee, head over to coffeeshopofhorrors.com. Use the code SCREAMCAST. You'll get 10% off of your order. Also, grindhousevideo.com. Find all your exploitation, your drama, your smut, and cult classics over there. Of course, labels like Arrow Films and Vinegar Syndrome are in their store, so please check them out and let them know we sent you. Music on this episode by Wolfmen of Mars, and Kevin Spencer is responsible for the look of our show. Thank you. I want to thank him so much for doing all that hard work to uh, kind of revamp our look. Again, you can hear past episodes over at thescreamcast.com. That is it for this episode. Next episode, we plan to be covering on VHS, The Devil's Gift from 1984. So track that down and uh, you can and check it out before we discuss it. We're also going to be discussing The Ritual and Tragedy Girls. So hopefully the whole gang will be back for that episode. And also, of course, Brad and I will be doing... I'm not sure if we'll do it as a supplemental, uh, but we will definitely be reviewing he'll be reviewing all the movies that he will be checking out over at south by southwest in austin texas all right i want to thank all of you guys for listening we'll talk to you next time bye oh don't tell me you're leaving the party's just begun